listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Glad to be back for the Great American Bass. Be there. <laughs> We're going to light it up, and I'm going to be the number one sports attraction across USA. It may be the fall time, but it, the summer's heating up. We're getting ready to take this show on the road to big stadiums, big arenas. That's right. Big angles. Yeah, the leaves are turning beautiful colors here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, but we're still in the heat of the NWA multi-title defense tour. And, uh, you know, I looked back at 85 and learned some interesting things, but it's 86 for us right now. So we did, right. we were doing... Bash setup, and we have a little more bash setup. We're, right. we're featuring Morton and Flair, even though, of course, Flair says he's got 14 challengers. That's right. But one of the first challengers is Morton, and from what we can see from all the TV angles, then for the months that led up, not just a couple of weeks, but months, was that Morton seemed to be the most intriguing, the most exciting, the most you know fan-appreciated angle that was going on. Yep. Within a hair's breadth of actually, this could have been a Ricky Morton's WrestleMania four, where he became the champ. I think that was yeah. really a strong possibility. The other guys, I don't think any of them were as strongly considered to like put the title on. Right. So this show is going to focus on getting to the big card, 10 matches on July 5th. But before we do that, we still have to finish sewing up all of the details, because there's more angles that happen between Morton and Flair to get them there. So we're going to just jump right into it. We don't have time for a correction section, and we don't have time for any fancy intro. We'll touch on something uh, that happened in the wrestling world after the show. But for now, let's get right to it. I think it's May 17th, and we're going to a TV show that we do not know. The show we don't know is this mid-Atlantic syndicated property, which I had never even seen the opening to. Had I knew the mid-Atlantic territory. I hadn't heard of mid-Atlantic as being like a weekly TV show. It's obviously Jim Crockett Promotions because it's all their wrestlers. It's Bob Cottle, so it's familiar things in that way. But that intro music, once again, like as soon as we see like these WWF shows that we didn't see in the 80s that weren't part of our syndicated TV, we're like, huh, what is this? Okay, so I was too focused on the match to notice the... Um packaging and so Corey is uh, correct here uh, I was I'll just concentrate on what I do know <laughs> so Flair uh, has got a beautiful black and silver robe um, he's got red trunks this evening and uh, this entrance of Ricky Morton completely convinces me of everything that they're saying he is like the Beatles all of them rolled into one and when the music plays this is no post-audio, we're too cheap to pay for the royalties. This is the real deal. You hear every scream, every thrill, every beating teenage girl heart you can hear. <laughs> it's amazing, man. It, it's electric. It brings you in. And, you know, Ricky Morton's own song that he wrote was cool. It, it, there's nothing yeah, wrong with yeah. that. But this is it. This yeah, is this, the, this uh, is the ELO, Rama Lama Lama, you yeah, know? Yeah. Come along with me. Oh, it's just, it's so good. This is like, you can't help 
but uh, get carried away in the excitement. And my God, it looks like 70% females. I'm yeah. serious. It yeah. really does, like a minimum. Um, and, you know, there are definitely some that look good. They could be, you know, 16, which means they could be 14. But there's also a lot of, you know, viable babes, like 20-somethings yeah, yeah. and like yeah, yeah, yeah. 30-year-olds. Like, wow, this is like a Beatles concert. And they and they are screaming like the Ed Sullivan show. It's, <laughs> this makes you believe that Ricky was the biggest baby face at the time, as Ric Flair said. Flair said, we still, you know, probably would have put the belt on Magnum TA, but... Morton was yeah, a hot ticket exactly at the time. And go watch this if you ever doubted it. He's got the pink bandana, so there's a little bit of a... He's always got hanging uh, kerchiefs, and uh, he <laughs> gives... Right. Adrian Adonis has got nothing on the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> They're tying him up. <laughs> That's right. I think Corey covered how it happened, too. Like, they were just like, yeah, you know... Yeah, Lawler's like, just go grab a bunch of these and put them on. <laughs> yeah. Um, now there is one exception to the uh, legion of teenage girls. There's a a fort. I like it. We are represented. There's some fourteen year old snot nosed punk who's booing Ricky Moore, and he's got thumbs down and gets on camera, That's awesome. and he's got a Kiss t shirt on, right? Okay, so yeah. we both liked, you know, our brother's old music when we yeah, were yeah, young. Right. Like my brother liked um, Molly Crew and uh, all that. I I got to Led Zeppelin on my own, but the you know the '80s heavy metal. My brother, anyway. So yeah, there's there he is, and he doesn't like Ricky. So at least there's somebody <laughs> That's right. who's like you know saying no. I reject I reject the baby face. So the announcers are talking about you know what's rick morton gonna do because i mean even their build weight he's 30 pounds smaller than rick flair that's right yes so you know you look at him and and, and rick flair is will take on any big man you know like bruiser brody versus rick flair's or rick flair is one of the first times i got to see him so it's got an iconic place in my heart and mind what's rick ricky more how is he possibly gonna get this guy out quick him that's, that's the right answer. Yes, he's gonna exactly. out hurt him <laughs> Yes, yes, I, that's a good translation. He's got the scrapes. Yes. His face is got these big red patches. I can't believe his commitment. Concrete ambush. <laughs> yeah, and Ricky Morton sandpapered his own face ca- that's right. in, in real life to, to sell the kayfabe injury. That's right. It's a, and I do remember the articles. We, we've already touched on that, but I don't think anything in my memory matches this look yes. of how he just looked like he got, especially when you think about it. How many times did somebody get fireballed and they look like they've been, they <laughs> don't even look like they've been at the beach all day? You know, <laughs> don't even have a suntan. <laughs> exactly. Nothing like it. So uh, that's part of the look that, that Ricky has coming into the ring. So it's definitely early Ricky Morton, of course. You know, he's scoring punches and, and a hip toss and a drop kick right off the bat uh, they, and, and a shoulder block, uh, you know, giving the all the girls something to scream about. That's right. And Flair's very generous. He usually lets the faces take the early lead. You know, somewhere around uh, the, the halfway to two-thirds, you can expect Flair to be, you know, swaggering <laughs> yeah, around confidently. Right. <laughs> but uh, it's going to take a while. You know, they, what, they, like, what is it they say about Greg Valentine? He doesn't wake up till two-thirds right. of the way. It takes him 40 minutes to warm up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, almost to the point of Flair is too generous because he graciously loses a test of strength to Ricky Morton. <laughs> oh my God. And we've already pointed out that he's 30 pounds. You know. He's scrawny. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and Ricky's not even cut. You know, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he just looks like a hockey player, you know, part-time. <laughs> <laughs> Non-contact. <laughs> exactly. He has... Um, 
he, he's got the, the acrobatics and he can fly and uh, he's got all the other aspects to it. The personality, the heart, the drive, the charisma. This crowd is as nuts as any audience I've ever seen recorded on any wrestling event ever. Uh, so it's exciting to watch just for that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Flair tries a quick rally, but it's too early in the match. So Morton's not having it. And we get basically some of the same spots, which is, you know, like a side headlock takedown to uh, have a little rest hold on the mat. So they, they go to that well and now they're just a, a little chance to regain their breath so flair begins his assault he gets a little bit of a, a chance to chop and punch but you know it's too early ricky's not hurt so there is an attempt at an irish rip but ricky reverses it and gives flair a big <laughs> back body drop and flair decides to walk it off and he gets outside of the ring the next spot morton puts a side headlock and controls flair on the mat we have a tv ad and then of all shockers we come back to Ricky Morton has Ric Flair in a figure four. <laughs> That's right. That's strange. We don't see that a lot. <laughs> I think if, I, I think that it did get to the point, especially in the later 80s and early 90s, where it started to become a thing where it was like, yeah, put Flair's figure four on him. <laughs> get him get him back. <laughs> right. So when the hold is broken, we have Flair begging and the partners show up. We've got Arn Anderson, who looks like he's just come out of the ring himself. And uh, Robert Gibson, who's got his gear, doesn't look quite as uh, yeah, sweaty. Yeah, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly that Arn Anderson had a televised TV title defense against Ronnie Garvin earlier in this this show. Either that or he was jogging around the arena, you know, <laughs> waiting for his appearance. We get Irish up into the corner, which results in a flare flop, which of course means flares on the outside of the ring in one <laughs> corner and runs to the other corner to climb up it to try a top rope attack. But of course he just catches a fist. <laughs> Essentially every time that Flair gets two or three moves in, Ricky Morton manages to get a counter and uh, Flair doesn't get any momentum going. We do have a pin attempt, a roll up. We get a backslide. Of course, these are just two counts. Then Ric Flair decides to aggravate the injury and he takes the laces of his boots and he rakes his shin, the boot laces, across Ricky Morton's injured face. Oh, no. Nasty. Then when he has the opportunity to... Now, we, be, Flair's beginning to, you know, show a little dominance. He grabs Ricky Morton and he rubs his face across the top rope to continue this getting the fans worked up for... Uh, I mean, there's no need for that. Pin the man's shoulders, one, two, three. You're trying to ruin his career, ruin his face, permanent injury. Flair attempts to smash Ricky's face into the ring post, but no, Ricky blocks it. Ricky gets a nice cross body black, because this means that uh, if that would indicate that Ricky's actually on the apron now, outside. That's right. Usually it's a turnbuckle, but somehow Ricky's outside, so Flair tries to smash him into the ring post, but it doesn't work. And since he's outside, Ricky climbs to the top rope and gives a cross body block for a two count. After that, he rubs Ric Flair's face into the mat. And each time he works Flair's face into uh, the ropes or the mat, it's essentially, a, you know, a revenge spot. That's right. The crowd loves it. Mm -hmm. Then we have a little confrontation between Flair and Earl Hebner. <laughs> it's not quite the same quality as a Tommy Young confrontation, which we'll right. get to later yeah, in the yeah. card. But it's not bad. And, you know, Flair always takes, a you know, when a, when a ref shoves Flair... Flair sells. That's right. <laughs> He's no Roddy Piper with Mr. T. <laughs> so Flair continues to work Morton's injuries. He rubs his face onto the ropes. It's all Flair at this point. He's kicking and hitting him. He's got boots. And then, unfortunately, the credits for this unfamiliar program begin to yeah, roll. That's right, yeah. Yeah, fortunately, they're very long, so we get to watch about another 90 seconds of Flair <laughs> beating right. up on Ricky Morton. 
there is a, a missile drop kick before, wow, yeah. um, which which looks pretty good. But I'm starting to notice that Ricky Morton, if it's not this missile drop kick, there's another one later where he um he's no Jim Jim Brunzel. He kind of like he doesn't really go horizontal. Like he kind of like right. almost like the the mule kicks, but I mean like in front. Like he lands on his butt basically. Just yeah. something. So there. This is not that's a great. Kind of, that's kind of the dynamite kid though. Like the 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 missile drop kick is sort of that's sort of the the idea of it is that you come off and flat back bump and feet in front of you as opposed to sideways. Right. Well, it's uh, these, I, I don't want to like disrespect Dynamite Kid when I bring up these missile drop kicks because this one's not great. And there's yeah. another one later that I'm like, hmm, that's uh, weak. weak. It looks light. Yeah, Dynamite yeah. didn't look light. Dynamite looked like he, you know, exploded through you mm-hmm. and killed you. Unfortunately, actually, I don't even know what happened in this match because the TV program ends and uh, I didn't uh, research it on the Google so I don't know what happens. The TV show yeah, ends. Yeah, we have uh, we have that information, I believe, and I will bring that up shortly in the show. We'll come back to this and figure out what the actual result of that match was, which I'm going to guess was a disqualification of some sort or, you know, some kind of non-finish. The title did not change hands. We can so- we, we know <laughs> guarantee that much. you that. <laughs> So yeah, it was really neat. Unlike the other parts of this feud so far where they're sort of spontaneous, meaning that, you know, they 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 have an encounter at the interview desk or Flair shows up at the ring to challenge him or, you know, whatever it is, or there's an altercation after a real match. This one, you know, Bob Cottle brought it up at the beginning of the show and said, late, you know, today today he starts talking about this match. So from the very beginning of the syndicated show, they're mentioning this match is going to happen. And, it, you know, it, it starts with a lot of time left on the thing. So you, you don't expect it, you know, the match to not uh, complete. You don't realize. Because sometimes in this era, what shows would do, UWF and different shows, is they would start like a main event match with like four minutes left in the show. Terrible. And then like they'd roll the credits and like, we got to go and like leave you with a cliffhanger every time. Yeah, that's a shame because the pre-match entertainment value here is incredible. I mean, Ricky, when he gets into the ring, I uh, now that I'm thinking about it, he was doing the air guitar and yeah, mouthing the right. words and just, it was like a rock concert, you know, it was, yeah. it, it was, if they had left that off the program, they would have been so foolish. So what I'm thinking is that like the end of the match is probably exciting, you know, I yeah, mean, like right. you got such a hot crowd that I'm sure there would have been a some huge pops to come, whether or not, you know, there was any, like, say, a, a false finish, you know, like the way that That's right, yeah. the, the crowd for a second thought Hawk won. That's right. And, yeah. and you give the, that thrill to that audience and, and they get to feel, woohoo, the joy. <laughs> and then, of course, the drama of like, oh, no, you know, the dusty finish or whatever. He didn't win the belt. Definitely, I think, a misstep to not show us the end of the match, considering that crowd was so incredibly hot. Yeah, I do think it's just, again, it's a general, it was a general tactic of like, Go to the host show, buy tickets, you know, like you can only see so much on TV. The only way to get this action is in person. Yeah. Well, I would say that uh, if people are looking for an example of uh, Ricky Morton's popularity as a solo wrestler, there's no better than this this uh, entrance. And you definitely don't want, I mean, you definitely don't want to go to the WWE Network because they won't pay for the yeah. you know, copyright. Yeah, I don't music. think you're going to find this match on there anyways, but, uh, but yeah, if you... Google the May 17th Mid-Atlantic in 1986 show. You're going to find like a 40 or 50 minute file and uh, Get it while Bob, Bob Cottle's face. And, Before uh, they yank it. That's right. <laughs> go watch it right now. <laughs> right now. Do it now. Well, no, no, no. Finish this in the show. Then go, yeah. then go watch it. That's right. <laughs> okay. So our last piece of setup, in a way, I think it takes place over, Jeff's going to explain it. When I was researching it, it appeared to be two different television shows showing essentially the same angle, but the second show showing a longer clip. 
but Jeff pointed out there's some different colored trunks, so maybe they really just ran this angle twice. So Jeff, fill us in. Okay, so two weeks later, we have another singles match between Ricky Morton and Ric Flair, and we only join the action basically. Yeah, it's just highlights. It's not yeah. part of the actual show as far as like a studio show. It's it's like the end. highlights from the arena or whatever, right? Right, yeah. And it's also the match is basically the ending, yeah, the finish. of course. So we have a missile drop kick that sends Ric Flair into the ref, and so, of course, it's a ref bump and whenever you get a ref bump that's an opportunity for the bad guys to do their worst <laughs> deeds and so both Arn and Tully run in the the bastards as uh, Lord <laughs> Alfred Hayes likes to call them and they got their black trunks and they look like they've been they've they just got off the shift that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they're not in their you know nice party clothes out in the town so they both come in and they, and they of course are beating the crap out of Ricky Morton uh, what one of the things that they do is that Ric Flair climbs up on the second turnbuckle and does one of our Greg Gagne knee drops, which is That's mostly right. a shin drop. Yes. But they do it onto the back of Ricky Morton's head. With his like, nose planted on the mat. That's <laughs> right. He's faced, and they've kind of got his feet and legs up for extra pressure, like, and uh, yeah, yeah. the horsemen are holding, holding him down. Holding him in place, yeah. Yeah. And then Flair gives him one of his rolling knees after that. Oh, and geez, uh, yeah. later, we see the results. Uh, Ricky Morton has got the full rigid plastic oh, face yeah, mask yeah. on, and he's got all this dark bruise. If we thought he looked beat up before. Yeah. <laughs> to- two black eyes. Car accident. <laughs> yeah. They're selling the crushed nose like uh, really well. And so his promo is like, you thought you could get rid of me, but you know, forget it. Because, you know, Ricky Morton doesn't quit. <laughs> um, but we're not done. There's more no. buildup <laughs> right. before Bash. We get another clip. This time it's a tag match. Flair has enlisted Arn Anderson to take on the Rock and Roll Express. It's actually Ole Anderson, who I had no idea was such an entertaining talker. Never stammers. He's he's pretty good. I, I didn't really listen to many of his promos. But he is talking about an incident where he had to get involved, according to him. And this <laughs> incident that we see is the aforementioned tag match of Flair and Anderson versus the Rock and Roll Express. And uh, they're wearing purple trunks. It, the different colored outfits for the Rock and Roll Express are helping to keep me on track That's to right. keep one <laughs> night from another. Anyway, Ole Anderson is really funny because he's commenting on the match and we, you know, we're, we're like in the last third or quarter of this match, we get to see quite a few spots before any shenanigans happen. That's right. But the spots that we're getting to see are, you know, the Rock and Roll Express are in control, the crowd's loving it. Yes. It's a TV taping, so the smaller crowd, not, not an arena show. No, no. So just a couple, I mean, or a couple, I mean, like maybe a hundred people, 120, but it doesn't yeah. matter. Like it's, it could it's, be 50. Yeah. yeah, whatever, it could be. yeah. It's, it's great. No, it's not the size of the audience uh, that counts. Anyway, so the, the Rock and Roll Express are on fire and uh, they're doing these beautifully timed double drop kicks where they really do look like synchronized. They're right in the pocket. These guys, their timing is perfect and Flair gets one and he sells it and Anderson gets one. Arn Anderson gets one and that's enough. Ole Anderson doesn't right. like it. <laughs> he's outside the ring. He's he's only got his jeans, um, but he's taken off his uh, his casual dress shirt. He's, he's ready right. to fight. It's a bar brawl. <laughs> he gets in there and they don't really see him coming so he manages to like sort of take out Robert Gibson before you know the two Rock and Roll Express can turn around and and uh, double drop kick Ole that's right (laughs) with a different timing he would have got that third double drop (laughs) kick but no they managed to get the upper hand and uh, next thing you know 
it, what I love is that Ole's watching this, and before he gets into the ring, the Rock and Roll Express are winning fair and square. And he goes, there you see, typical <laughs> three or four guys, always same old beating up on Arn, beating up on Flair, ganging up, double teaming, unfair. You Jumping know? on Tully. <laughs> That's right. It's great because completely legitimate babyface work in the ring, no rules being broken. I mean, well, actually, I should correct that. A double drop kick technically is an illegal uh, mover. They got a five count. <laughs> That's right. So Arn Anderson on his podcast would talk about how like part of their strategy with their promos was always say that the whatever you were doing that the other guy was doing it. Like whatever you know, hard tactics. Yeah. It's like they did it first. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it actually, so that's what that's what that's what I, Oli's doing. <laughs> I, got a, I got a big kick out of it. I wasn't expecting to enjoy Oli's. He was funny. And and Tully jumps in there and he, he's dressed in his dress clothes and he's putting the boots down. Oh and, man! And the way that like and they're still going. For his face, like they get Morton into the corner, they kind of dispose of Gibson because it's all about you know reducing Morton's chances of beating Flair. So um, they get Morton. He's basically in in the lazy boy because he's got his like one arm over the bottom rope and his other <laughs> arm over the other bottom rope, you know, and, and like he's got his back on the, the bottom turnbuckle. Yeah. And Oli puts the bottom of his boot. It's not a wrestling boot either, and just grinds it in his face. Ugh. It looks so convincing. It, yeah. It's it's this is gritty. JCP. This ain't your WWE. WF family entertainment. No, no. It's fucking awesome. And uh, Dusty Rhodes tries to come to the aid, come to their aid. But... Right. Oli's like, I knew that big sucker. We'd get him. He's always going to stick his nose in everybody's <laughs> business. And then he just couldn't help himself. And here he comes. And sure enough, Dusty Rhodes comes in and gets his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, he comes under the ropes and just starts getting stomped on. Yeah. I love how they're using Ricky Morton's mask at this point, jamming into Dusty's face. <laughs> That's right. This rigid, hard piece of plastic is, is a weapon. And so finally, Magnum and Manny Fernandez, one of my least favorites. I hope I never meet him. (laughs) (laughs) Chop you. That's right. They clear the ring. And uh, that's the end of that segment. And now that was um, the last piece of setup. Yes. But multiple injury angles that bring us to this exciting July 4th weekend, but July 5th event in Charlotte. So they're deep in JCP territory. They're at the heart of the, you know, the whole company and they're running one of the first big shows. We, we already did the July 1st in Philadelphia. It's Flair's hometown. That's right. They've run shows on the 2nd and 3rd. And here we go. We're at a really big spot. So You don't know who wrestled on the 2nd and the 3rd, do you? We have the information. I don't have it in front of me. But right. it, it, basically, in general, they did a variation of mostly the same matches. This is one thing I wanted to talk about. When you look at these 10 matches, with the exception of the first three, the last seven are all what we would call gimmick matches. You know, like there's a... Special stipulations? a bunkhouse match. There's a strap match. There's a double chain match. There's a haircut match. There's two cage matches. You know, that's, like... That's funny because it reminds me of uh, somebody who tried to get into the wrestling. Oh, yeah. The famous Jake. You want to play 21? <laughs> I got 22. <laughs> and uh, the card, literally 10 out of 12 of them were called grudge match. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. That's it. It's just called grudge match. Like, no no straps, no chains, nothing. Just <laughs> right. grudge match. You know? And one of them was just like, you know, Beauty and the Beast. Like, say, Greg Valentine versus George Animal Steel. Grudge match. Beauty versus Beast. <laughs> Sorry, was this from like Spin the Wheel or is this a game? What are no, you talking about? Well, the one where Jake was off his tits, stoned and drunk. Like, this guy <laughs> was a one-off. It wasn't even a promotion. Some okay. rich guys just like wrestling heroes. Okay. You know. Oh, that show. Yes. That I about. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, Jake's low point. But right. we're all happy that Jake's recovered, you Very know. Very nicely, yes. Yes, so that's a, that's a, one of the happy stories of wrestling. He even got back with his wife, who oh. we know from TV. 
gosh. Yeah. So if you see the movie Wrestling with Shadows, you, it breaks your heart to see Jake isolated, lonely, and and then in real life, Golden Hearted DDP was among people who who helped Jake get his life back in order. So th- there's a heartwarming story for you, this Jake the Snake Roberts, who was, you know, at one point my favorite number one guy. Damn you, Bill Watts. Anyway, uh, we're <laughs> getting a little bit off the topic. Yeah, let's get back to the bash. So. Basically, they had like we talked about every gimmicks, wrestler. Gimmicks. Every wrestler had multiple feuds, two to okay. three feuds. So it was easy for them to sort of rotate who was fighting who. Right. You know, Ronnie Garvin's fighting Tully one night, but he fights Dusty a different night, and you know, Magnum can fight Nikita, or he can be in a tag match with Dusty. You know, like so they could mix and match it a little bit to make it look different. Ronnie Garvin's fighting Dusty Rose. Well, no, he's not fighting Dusty Rose. Oh, okay. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> My whole thing with this show was that I had the VHS release, the rental of it, and my... my Wait, now you had... Did you buy the... Did you somehow get your hands on the famous 85 Bash tape? You did, yes. right? Yeah, oh, of yeah, course. yeah. So, so my, I only looked at pictures in the first, wrestling magazine. My first ever rentals of non-sort of WWF, because I, you know, I watched AWA as a kid, but until they released, like, their best of the 80s thing in, like, ni- 1990 or whatever it was, I'd never rented an AWA tape. So I rented WWF tapes, Coliseum Home Video a bunch of them, and I worked backwards from, let's say, 86 to 84. Ah, they did not advertise WWF videotapes in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, but yeah, that's right. they had, you know, this famous ad that Corey and I can remember so well. Yeah, that's right. Ringmasters? Yeah, Ringmasters. Yeah, Lords of the Ring. I know, they were also playing on our love of fantasy. Those yeah, bastards, right. they had they it every way. Every way. They like, these kids, they love Gandalf. So the first time I ever got to rent NWA Wrestling, I rented two tapes at the same time. So this is going into almost, probably almost 88 or late 87 because I rented the 85 Lords of the Ring tape, the one you're talking about, and I rented the 1987 Great American Bash tape, which has the War Games matches on it. So those are those my first ever rentals of those things, and I was working my way forward, but the rental stores stopped getting any new material after 88. So I basically I was working with like you know, 88 backwards. And I almost went backwards. Like some of the last things I ever rented were like the 83 Starcade and like the 84 Starcade and stuff like that. I didn't get, you know, I, those are the last ones I got, not not the first ones. I didn't go in order. I went sort of, I was trying to get the most current because I was like, what's going on? I read the magazines, but I don't, I don't know what this is. So I did have the VHS tape for the 1986 Great American Bash, but that's not like a single show. It is a collection of matches from this month, from this tour. And there's a couple of matches on this show that are on that tape and and stuff like that. So I don't, like when I look at this July 5th card, it's not like I've watched it before because it's really, I've only seen the highlights because again, they edit these tapes down quite small. So like a 20 minute match might only be seven minutes or something, right? So you really like, and that's where they get in post-production, they would do their proper commentary. So when we watch, now we go to WWE Network they don't have the VHS copy. You can't watch the VHS release, but you can watch the entire file of this July 5th show. Like the Crockett Cup, it's got no commentary, mm-hmm. which is a plus and a minus. There's some yeah. nice things about it. There's some yeah. cool thing aspects, but you really, I can only, you know, especially if, you know, and I don't want to hear, you know, like today's announcers announce it. I don't, you know, I want somebody in the moment. I want somebody who's actually there announcing it because that's a whole part of it is the excitement they're feeding off the crowd, off the energy. But at least those VHS releases... They obviously didn't do the commentary live, 
but they did it at the time. So, you know, you have the proper commentators in, in their age sounding like they're supposed to sound, talking like they're supposed to talk. We could go take Tony and make him go and commentate it now, but it's not going to sound the same. Correct. Yeah. If you separate it by any significant amount of time, it becomes like, you know, a history piece, a documentary, and, and not, That's right. not like live sports. Exactly. So that, you know, this whole idea of what do these shows look like or what these cards look like, a big part of it was that Dusty and Jim Crockett, I I guess, were fascinated with the connection to Hollywood and the music industry. And we've already seen Willie Nelson on the Superstars on the Superstation. Most of these shows had these like big concerts attached to them. So this one in particular would have had Wailing Jennings would have at some point during the card, it doesn't say when, he did a concert. The concept was we'll get people who aren't wrestling fans to come to like, you know, a Willie Nelson or Wailing Jennings or there's a few other names that they use over and over again. For the most part, people looking back talking about it, they don't see any appreciable gain. So the only thing that they do is they pay a bunch of money out of pocket to have these guys there because, you know, Dusty likes to hang out with these guys and Jim Crockett likes to hang out with these guys and they go party with them afterwards. Yeah, so. I think in 85, they were on stage and Boogie Woogie actually sang. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. And there was a clip. Was was Flair face in 85? Yes, he was. Yeah. Okay, so he was up there. They did a little, like, there was Dusty and Flair and Boogie Woogie and one other guy, like, on, <laughs> you know, the daytime concert. And yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently the only guy that could sing was Jimmy. So they That's let him right. do some backup vocals. <laughs> So that's something that's and interesting. Yeah, like is country music wasn't a big hit, and like I don't know if the Bash ever went to Chicago, but you wouldn't think that w- that would be a right. Country I mean, music place. Most of their tour, we can, we could actually list out all the dates. We might do that later in the show, but don't have it right in front of me. Definitely, most of their stuff was in their home territory. Right. Chicago is somewhere they were trying to expand desperately, especially in '87. But I think in '86, I'm not sure. We'd have to look and see if they were right. going up to Chicago or not. I feel that our Road Warrior got to wrestle Flair in Chicago. At some point. Right. Yeah. It's just neat to watch a show where you don't have the supporting soundtrack of the commentators' voices, building things, telling you what's going on. So a few of these matches becoming cold on because they're not things we really focused in on TV. A few of the matches, they had a lot of TV time, but Jeff and I didn't focus on it. And then, of course, we get the matches that we, you know, that we put our most energy into here. You know, things that involve Flair and Morton, Road Warriors, Russians... Dusty and Magnum, you know, that kind of stuff. The Midnight Express a bit. So we'll jump right in. There's 10 matches. We'll uh, try to trim down some of the lesser matches, we'll call them. And we'll bring this to you now. As it happened, July 5th, 1986. In the hometown of boy, <laughs> Charlotte, North Carolina. Woo! <laughs> So one thing is it's interesting is the file opens up and uh, this whole thing is like the entrance, the opening of the show is the skydiving team. Right. <laughs> it's yeah, like kind of confusing. You're trying to watch it like the camera's kind of spinning around and you're like, what am I, what am I looking for? <laughs> yeah. Didn't quite translate to the screen, yeah. small or big. I did notice when the first guy makes his first landing, the first of the four parachuters to land, and the, they're somehow the national champions and they're going for some world championship or well, rotations I'll, or something. I do got to say that. One guy appeared to fucking hit a bullseye, and I was like, well, "Yeah, that's the first guy." Yeah, something like, yeah. I was like, well, "Okay." Did you see what it said on the bullseye? No, prism. <laughs> I was oh, like, We're "Back in Philly, where's Cal? Hey, where's Cal Rudman?" <laughs> I don't know. Prism, I don't know what that prism was about, but uh, I didn't. But I just was impressed that the guy could you know jump out of a plane and land on essentially a ten foot square yeah, piece of plastic. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it didn't look great, but I mean, when yeah, that I did think that's pretty good aim. Yeah, though so they. Uh, 
So they do that, and they really push this this idea of these bash shows as being family events, and that's why there's a concert, and that's why there's you know fireworks at the end of the night, and that's why there's a skydiving and all this stuff. So one thing that's interesting with the setups of these stadium shows in the 80s is they mostly, for the most part, they have a small crowd on the floor. Like, they'll go with, like, 10 rows of fans on the floor and then a huge, you know, amount of green space and then a ton of fans in the stands. And it's, you know, the place isn't sold out, but certainly for most of the camera angles, it looks very full. Like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people there. Yeah. This isn't this isn't the AWA with, like, 2,000 people in a 30,000 stadium, you know, yeah. Somebody's got to be thinking about production values and the message you send when you shoot empty seats. You take away from the thrill. So you you got to think about the visuals, and they did a good job. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so it's really it's neat to see, and the and you realize that there's no flooring, so like the the grass is going to be your you know your your outside. There's, there's no uh, there's no cement or concrete for us to DDT somebody on. It's just grass. The cement is all dried. <laughs> That's right. Actually, it's all dried. <laughs> it's all wet. <laughs> it's growing. By the way, so the 85 bash, I didn't quite realize it was the combo show that it was. The AWA and the NWA at that time were trying to work together to fight off the control of the WWF, but that appears to be done here. Yes, that ended at the beginning of 86, January 86. That whole amalgamation, that's something, you know, down the road, uh, we are going to look at some some of those televised shows that were sort of that combo property, just what Jeff's talking about. So and it was a single... Stuff event yeah. in 85 right that was so successful that now no no the great american bash was, was a tour, tour in yeah. 85 as yeah. well yes oh, okay yeah right very well so they do do an anthem uh, which you know i kind of skipped through there's no singer i think they just play music they just play the music Liberace. yeah exactly and the ringer announcer gets in there and asks us if we're ready for wrestling and of course the crowd is so they're really happy and it cuts to the beginning of our first match which is going to be a title defense of the NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship by their champion, Denny Brown, who is a name I would read in the magazines all the time and who I've seen a couple of his matches, but he was somebody who was around for a long time, but they didn't really focus on it. He didn't feel like he was a United States champion or a TV champion or a tag champion that was on TV all the time. He felt like he was kind of like the, you know, in the closet. <laughs> like they just hit him. I'm drawn a Denny Blank. I, Denny Blank. I, I do not have a clue. Not from the magazines. Wow. That's about the first time you said you've referenced a magazine. And I'm like, what? Who? Yeah, I'd see Denny his Brown? name on the list and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you ever see pictures of him? I didn't know what he looked like. No. Oh, well, maybe maybe I read his name and just didn't get a visual. Yeah. It wasn't until much more okay, recently that so I what's saw. What's he look like? like? Uh, he's got like uh, brown hair. Uh, Denny Brown? Yeah, yeah. Denny okay. Brown. Shot me some more. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna say he looks like Tony Danza, but I mean, it's like he's in that range, something. you know, like some something like sure. that. But he's he's not the tallest guy. He light heavyweight, so he's a smaller guy. He's got a decent body, kind of a sure. fantastic Denny style, Brown. you know, like somewhere okay. somewhere in between the two. Not as cut as Tommy Rogers, and not as uh, come on, not as, come on, <laughs> not as soft as uh, our man Fulton. Um, and of course, the challenger is who we mentioned last week. Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, yeah. <laughs> his NWA time. I, and, I'm a fan. And of course, he's got his, uh, you know, he's going for a junior heavyweight title. So that's, uh, maybe that, that'll help this out. Yeah, he was one of these guys that I, you know, really irritated me in the day. But now I realize how well he did his job. Yeah, so this this match is probably the weakest on the card, but it still has some entertaining moments. And it's not too bad. I don't know. The the, the the crowd does seem to be really behind Denny Brown. <laughs> if Denny Brown does anything, they're like, they're hot for it. Yeah. I'm not, well, what do I'm, I know? I'm not saying he's Ricky Morton, but I mean, he's getting, he gets big cheers. He gets bigger cheers than some of the other people do wow. on this card. Okay. 
and they don't like to, they definitely don't like Regal. I don't know how familiar they are with him. We're not familiar with Denny Brown. I don't know how familiar this crowd is with Steven Regal because I don't think he's been around that long. And like I said, he's been kind of affiliated with Jimmy Garvin, but nothing to do with this show. When, well, no, he must have been a tag team champion in the AWA at like within the last year and a half. That's right, yeah. yeah. So he's pretty fresh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He would only be here for a little while. So Denny Brown holds up his title, and you see it from behind, and there's this weird little crown sticking out of the top on the plate. Like, you can't see the plate. You can see the leather on the back, but you can see the silhouette of what looks like a, you know, a king's crown, let's say, on the top of that belt. So it'd be interesting to look and see what that belt looks like. Yeah, there's belts are not... I, I like the old belts. Whenever I get a glimpse at the belts I see today, I'm never Awful. impressed. Puke. Yeah. <laughs> Big W, shove it uh, up your butt. W-B. Yeah, or the the spinny one. I, I was oh, already was out, signed out with his <laughs> even Stone Cold with his. Uh, oh no, was the was the Rock? Yeah, the Rock had the smoking belt, like like the uh, like this, you know, coming out of the bull's you know, nostrils dumb. or whatever. And, dumb. Yeah, stupid. Let's have regular belts, good looking yeah. belts. So we won't touch too much in this match. I'm going to touch on about three or four spots that really made me laugh. So Steve Riggle's great at like doing the stalling tactics getting the crowd mad at him and stuff like that so he does like all the heel tactics he does three or four times in a row Denny Brown does totally legal like takedown things and Steve Regal immediately is like to, to Hepner he's like hey he's pulling my hair and Hepner's like immediately in Denny Brown's face like totally believing Regal and the best part is after about the second one <laughs> Regal's going to the crowd he's imploring the crowd to support him in this like you know <laughs> <laughs> the justice of his yeah, case yeah. they saw it exactly ask them and of course shortly after this Steve Riggle does pull some hair <laughs> to yeah. get an advantage. So that was, uh, that bad. made me laugh. Yeah. There's a weird spot. Denny Brown does a whip and then drops down for a backdrop. And Steve Riggle clearly is coming in, dropping down to land, hammer down the elbow on the back of his head and, you know, take that momentum. Except for before he gets there, Denny Brown does this weird backwards fall. Oops. And Regal does like a really good job of like, you know, going with them and falling with them and landing the elbow on him as they, you know, as they're going down to the ground. Because it was the weirdest thing. It was like this phantom bump that Denny Brown took. And it was like, what are you doing? Oh, I'd say every wrestler hates to give a phantom bump. <laughs> so good job, Steve. So later in the match, Regal's had control for a long time. And he's mad that he doesn't get the two count. So he's on his knees and he shoves Hepner, <laughs> and Hepner shoves him back. And he's in an argument with them. And as he's arguing, Denny Brown has slightly recovered and grabs him by the back of the hair and smashes his face on the ground. It's like, <laughs> it's really good. I've never seen anything like that. It's really funny. <laughs> so like I said, Regal has about 75% of this match. is totally his control. Brown does have several mini comebacks, but uh, they're, you know, they're cut off pretty quickly by Regal. And with about a minute left, you finally get the big Denny Brown comeback, his rally. But he's like, he doesn't have much urgency in it. He's not really like landing a bunch of big moves or anything trying to win the match. He's just, just laying some licks on Steve Regal. So the ring, the ring, the bell just rings as Brown's laying in punches. You know, it's a 15 minute time limit draw, which is really common for these shows back in the day. They would often start with these, these 10 or 15 minute draws would be the first match. I'm suspecting that a 15 minute wrestling match is 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, wrestling time. We like to cut. We like to cut those cues. But yeah, and you know, you notice the ring announcer giving the time cues throughout, and that's an effective thing as long as you do it consistently. But I've heard people say like, when it comes to like a draw in the first match, you almost don't want to make the first match the draw because then it's like, oh, it's a giveaway. They're counting down. And then you realize, oh, they're doing it for the rest of the matches too. That's fine. But if you did it for the first match and it wasn't a time limit draw, then you wouldn't see it coming, you know, in the second one. So. It just kind of depends. The worst is when they never do that, and then there's a match where they start giving the time limit cues, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is, like, super obvious. <laughs> right. You know it's going to just go to the end and know it won't be a winner. Yeah. 
So there's some pretty funny stuff with uh, Regal attacks Denny Brown and throws him over the top rope and declares himself the champion. <laughs> Earl takes go. Earl pulls his hand down and takes the belt back, and the crowd just pops for Earl. Earl gets like this huge pop for ah. like stopping Regal. <laughs> Way to go, Earl. That's right. So th- we don't get any entrances, and I think this is WWE just doesn't want to deal with the music or put in fake music. So they're just you know they're just cutting match to match to match. We're we're getting there's very limited amount of pre match where they're not already in the ring and the music hasn't already stopped so we don't get to see much of that stuff you know we don't get like robert gibson's in the next match i would have loved to have seen him come out and see what like without ricky morton what kind of a pop he would have got he's in this match against a guy black bart who's the mid-atlantic champion it's a non-title match again jeff and i weren't super familiar with this guy i knew him from world class a little bit he must have pissed off bill after (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, because how do we know oh, all right. these? Yeah, other yeah, people? yeah. We know all these wrestlers. Well, I mean, right? he would have been in those top ten lists because, like I said, like he was right. the first ever world class, you know, heavyweight champion so or whatever. How do we not know him? You know, like we he just, must. Yeah, we didn't see him a lot. He just didn't get any ink. He kind of looks like he's not the most impressive looking guy, but he sort of looks like maybe a Bugs Bunny or like Huckleberry Hound villain. You know, <laughs> he yeah. kind of looks like a prototypical. Let's like, just contrast. For example, we never got a look at Jerry Lawler, but we knew who he was. Oh yeah, for sure from yeah. the magazines. Oh yeah, and then why not? Black Bart, you know, like it's just because I mean Lawler ruled his yeah exactly turf yeah but, but I'm, I'm I'm just saying like of this era this guy you summed it up we don't know this guy and I'm like yeah well, why I know, don't the, we know I always this guy? knew the name but I didn't know what he looked like yeah. until lot well after the fact yeah so I'm just thinking you know our our connection to wrestlers that we didn't know was the magazines and so if you weren't in those magazines you know that's right maybe maybe you would knocked over Bill after's beard like, <laughs> that guy no ink. So we, uh, you know, one thing I did notice in this match is that even though the crowd wasn't fired up to begin with, they'll st- they're still with Gibson. He can still totally elicit wild cheers. You hear the squealing, maybe not quite to the Ricky Morton level, but they're they're recognizing, you know, he, this is a Rock and Roll Express member. They love him. And whenever he gets any kind of action going, you know, you hear that high-pitched squealing. The, the girls are there for him, you know. Yeah. Like, and and uh, this is early in the... Um... Oh, what should we say? The pilgrimage of uh, Robert Gibson's left eye. Yes, yes. <laughs> you, still looks, you wouldn't even know, like, you know, someone yeah. have to point it out that it's like, oh, you might have a bit of a lazy wandering eye there. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, hey, nobody's perfect, but over the years, yeah. he becomes a little less um, centerfold. That's know? right. Yeah, he's, yeah, it's hard to play. It's hard to say he's like a centerfold for yeah. the girls' teeny magazines or I mean, something. Huge sex symbol right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's stories about it, but we will not. We're not here to talk about those. So, you know, Robert Gibson gets this kind of offense, which is drop kicks. It's flying head scissors. He does a couple of those in a row. I noticed on those ones though that Bart doesn't roll very well. So it seems to me that like Gibson's taking the bigger bump on these <laughs> these flying head scissors than, than than Bart is. You know, so this is a really great spot. I don't think I've ever quite seen this. So Robert Gibson does a couple of flying head scissors and then maintains uh, basically his. Uh, a headlock, you know, like with his legs, a scissor lock, head scissors lock, and Bart's trying to stand up with his head pinned to the ground. So imagine him like his head stuck in a hole or something like that, and he's like up on his hands and his feet, and so he basically tries to do a handstand, which I've seen people do to stand out sure. of that, right? Right. But what Robert Gibson does is when he times it so as Bart pushes up, Robert Gibson pushes his legs up. And then from the seated position, and then down like a mini pile driver. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. and he doesn't let go, and he keeps him in this hold for quite a while. I it was like, like it. It sounds, kind of, yeah, it sounds kind of Greg Gagne style. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like really devastating, but it was neat. I, I was like, I, I think Gagne liked that. those head scissors. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. 
And this is the part of the, this match where you catch this different camera angle that you don't normally see from, I guess, the guy on the on the floor, and you can see way off in the distance this like silhouette of this cameraman up in the platform because the sun's going down, right? Like the sun set, but it's still kind of light out, right? There's still it's dusk, you know. It's not like it's not dark out yet, and it's such a neat to be like. I was like, it took me a second to be like, what the hell is that? And then I realized, like, oh, that's a cameraman. And he's like right. way far away. Like, Someone's going to do a running. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who is this This brave silhouetted warrior? <laughs> so once Bart gets control off of a clothesline, once he gets out of his head scissors, he basically just methodically beats up, you know, Roberts for like the rest of like the match pretty much. He's got him down for several minutes. And every time he tries to have a comeback, you know, he foils it with some shot or some hit. And Gibson finally gets some distance and backs into a corner, and Bart comes in swinging, but it's great. <laughs> Robert Gibson blocks him three punches, left, right, left, he blocks them all. <laughs> oh, that's not usually how it goes. Exactly, usually it's the same one, right? Like, yeah. But he alternated, it was pretty cool. And then he lands a few punches of his own, and he attempts a corner whip on Black Bart, which is reversed, and Gibson goes into the corner, but he scales the ropes up on the second, foot up on the top rope, spins super high flying body press, almost too high. Bart's got to almost like reel him in. <laughs> like, don't <Right>. miss me. <laughs> I got you, buddy, don't worry. Save me. <laughs> and we get the one, two, three. We get the three Ooh. count. And Gibson's smart. He what? gets he gets the hell out of there before Bart can get up and start beating him up again. Non-title match? Non-title match, yeah. Oh, well, that's and, nice. And this is where you hear just a huge squealing from the girls. Like, you would be like, this is the Backstreet Boys are here, like, you know. And this one woman, and she's not a little kid. She's like a a 30, you know, 25, 30-year-old. She's very attractive, Mm -hmm. you know. She's got his arm, and she will not let go. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) Right front row, got a good go, and he's just like, he's trying not to like. Be rude. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty great. Wow. Yeah, it's so cool because, I mean, like, there's the whole front row, but they will let you crowd the barricades at one point, and then security tells you to sit down, right? But some people just don't draw. Nobody wants to go to the barricades to touch or, you know, pat or whatever, you know, and, like, it's a real cool indication of, of like, of of how much excitement a wrestler generates, uh, you know, how crowded the barricades get. Yeah, I noticed this, I think it was in the Crockett Cup as well, because they have such a big floor space, and they have this weird barricade thing. Like you said, there's areas where there's no seats, but there's a barricade. So people can run up to the barricade, as Jeff said. And there was, there's been a couple of times I've noticed that where there's like an overhead shot and you see like a swarm of like a hundred people running like, you know, horizontally across to get to this open space so they can run up to the, you know, the barricade for their favorite wrestler, you know, whereas if they don't like them, they just sit on their hands. Or, yeah. You know, and your, your heart seats. always catches just for a second. You're like, oh God, riot. You know, <laughs> or, you know, like everybody calm down, be cool. <laughs> don't get hurt. You know, you're here for a good time. No pushing, no shoving. Take it easy. So the third match on this card, and the last of our what we'll call normal rules matches, is a tag match. And it's got some big names and some not-so-big names. Grudge match. Grudge match. <laughs> so we've got the recently returned Oldie Anderson tagging with his cousin, nephew, brother, Arn Anderson. Well, don't forget, they've been inbred <laughs> they've for been in- professional <laughs> wrestling forever since we were... <laughs> That's right. So they're taking on the team that we saw the Crockett Cup, Sam Houston and our favorite... Uncle, Grandpa, Daddy, Wrestler, Nelson aye, aye. Royal. Short oh, order God. cook. What? So talk about a guy that we weren't familiar with. I He just sticks out like a sore thumb. I didn't grow up with him. So out of all the guys I've seen in wrestling, I'm like, how is this guy a wrestler? This like- is the Barney Rubble of wrestling. <laughs> Got the same body, yeah, but just not as likable. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with them, but you know, we like Barney, and this guy is just kind of a non-entity. Yeah, and I saw a clip of him doing a, uh, a jobber match on one of these syndicated shows last, like when we were getting ready for last week's show, 
And he looked in that, for some reason, even in that match, he looked like another eight years older than he does here. And I'm just like, geez, he just doesn't look like, he like, he's, he looks 10 years older than he really is, I'm sure. Like, cause he yeah. just doesn't, he doesn't have that young look at there's, all. Like, there's, there's uh, no charisma. No. So anyway, yeah. That's I don't know Nelson how he Royal. wrestled for so long. He's <laughs> just like the most generic, boring cowboy. I mean, that's all he's got, right? They put yeah. a cowboy hat on him. Yeah, they well, actually, they come out with chaps. They got quite the. They got they they have more of a uniform, let's call it, than they did at the Crockett Cup for yeah. sure. So they look in Sam Houston. I I do like like Sam Houston. You know, is a pretty good wrestler. He's young and energetic. He's, young, he's hungry. Yeah. And he fits the NWA. He didn't really work out very well in the WWF, but that's no. that's okay. He's Jake fit, Roberts, his brother. Yeah, he fit very well here. So we'll just be up front here. We don't have a lot of spots on this. Um, I did see the end of the match. I don't think Jeff saw much of it. So uh, I'll just cut to the end. I, was, I, I protest. That's I right. protest. <laughs> we, got, we got to spend time on other things. That's right. So there is, basically, Sam Houston takes the beating forever. And the Andersons do what they always do, which is they work an arm or they work a leg or something like that. And pardon me, I got that backwards. Our Nelson Royal takes the punishment forever. Good. Finally gets the hot tag to Sam Houston, and he does some pretty good stuff. And he does one really neat thing, which I made a note of, which was really cool. So Arn Anderson reverses something and whips him off the ropes, and he does this, like, flying bulldog when he's on defense. It's really neat. He bounces off the ropes at Arn Anderson who's waiting for him, but Sam Houston just flies in the air like feet first and like grabs Arn's head and takes him for the ride. And Arn takes it perfectly and it looks looks great. And from there they end up transitioning to a spot where there's like a basically a roll up, like a reverse roll up from behind. So now Sam Houston's on top, sitting on top of Arn's legs with his back to like the Anderson corner. The ref for whatever reason needs to get uh, Nelson Royal out of the way. And Ole basically does a not the smoothest looking, let's say, second or top rope forearm smash onto Sam Houston, and Arn gets the pin. One, two, three. There it is. Yep. Which kind of sucks because Nelson Royal kicked out of a whole bunch of shit, and, <laughs> and basically Sam Houston got like one forearm pretty much to the head, and, you know, right. got pinned. So I took damage earlier in the match, but you uh-huh. get it. Okay, here we are into our specialty matches. Now, there's a couple on this list where I was like, eh, not really looking forward to watching these, but I got to tell you, they were all more entertaining than I realized, and they kind of get better as we go. So Jeff's not-so-favorite, Manny Fernandez, is going to be in what they're calling a bunkhouse match against... The Baron Von Raschke from the AWA, now with Paul Jones. Oh, man. I did not like seeing my Baron in a pair of jeans. It looks ridiculous. Just He's got cowboy, bo- cowboy boots on. He's got a pair of jeans, but for some reason, one of his legs is not tucked into the boot, and the other one is. Oh. And it looks silly. They have shirts on. So the what makes this a bunkhouse match? Well, it's a no-rules match, and it's this idea of coming your cowboy gear, which will, you know, Just years ruining. later with these bunkhouse stampede matches, you know, that's kind of the idea. Yeah, this does Rashke no favors for his gimmick. No wonder. I didn't even know Baron Von Rashke wrestled in the NWA. They handled him terribly, and, and this would be a total bunkhouse. Well, he, come, he comes out in his robe, but then I can see he's got this T-shirt on underneath the robe, and I'm like, what is he doing? And that's when I realized, oh, he's got jeans on. He's got this, yeah. like, they got this gimmick stuff on. Yeah, one glance, I was out of it because I just, this is not my Baron Von Raschke. Yeah, so this match is more about Manny Fernandez versus Paul Jones than it is Baron Von Raschke. It's kind of just the the flavor of the day, like, you know, the new charge to put in here, you know, kind of thing. So Manny's got the dumbest hair. It's like he's got, <laughs> like, he, he does the kind of ponytail and then he bleaches, like, the last two inches of his ponytail and then he lets it all hang wild anyway. That's so this right. bizarre little 
blonde patch at the end of a kind of a <laughs> mullety thing. And the raging bully kind of like claimed to have karate skills every now and then. He'd make the karate pose. Yeah. But I never saw this guy in one match, heel or villain, where I enjoyed his performance particularly. Yeah, I don't dislike him as much as Jeff does. I think when he's with Rude, it's a bit better. Um, and they're the tag team kind of at the end of Rude's run here in the NWA, which is very short. But yeah, let's just go through what's here. There's not, I didn't take a ton of notes on this one again because it's, so there's some funny stuff in this match. Like I said, Manny's more concerned about Paul Jones. So as soon as he gets the Baron a little bit beat up, he decides it's time to go after Paul Jones. So he does this whole in and out, like he runs out of the ring and then Paul Jones runs in the ring and then, <laughs> you know, he's back in and then back out. So it's, it's pretty funny stuff. And once Baron Von Raschke does get an advantage, he, uh, Pulls out what looks like almost like an Abdullah the Butcher type weapon, like one of those sort of, you know, piece of wood or something, piece of plastic. Wrapped in tape. Looks like you could maybe use it as a doorstop or something, right. you know? Like, yes. So, P.S. Baron Von Raschke, we, back in the day when we liked him as a face, he was a reformed goose heel. stepper. Yeah, yeah. Right. And his big move was the claw. So yes. the crowd always wanted Baron Von Raschke to slap the claw That's, on course, some yes. poor jobber. That's right. Or better yet, some you know, some nasty heel that you know right. deserves a good <laughs> headache. Yeah, that's right. But this oh, it's so sad. He just did not work here. So the funny thing is though, is even though it's a no rules match, like everything goes, Baron von Raschke is actively hiding the weapon from the ref. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I think it's just not a habit, oh, you know? Dear. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And around this time he's got Manny bleeding already with this weapon, and the crowd's chanting, Weasel, weasel. Weasel. And I'm like, I don't see Bobby Heenan. But what it was is Jimmy Valiant had started this whole thing with Paul Jones calling him Weasel. So the crowd had started to chant Weasel. Nah, stupid. Trying to steal Bobby Heenan's heat. Yeah, dumb. Yeah. So the Baron takes his belt off and uses it in many ways. He chokes him with it. He whips him with it. He clotheslines him with it. But the funny thing is... He really needs this belt to hold up his pants. <laughs> so his pants are coming off like for the rest oh, of the match. God, if the jeans didn't look ridiculous enough, now they're sagging down. Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm not getting plumber butt because his underwear's staying up, but uh, it's not a good look. So when Manny makes his comeback, he get, takes his own belt off and he uses it again in many varieties of ways to injure, injure the Baron. Belts are plenty, but it's a non-title match. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. So exactly. So the Baron's bleeding now. So they're not they're not shy to you know spill some blood. We got some, you know, crimson masks coming soon in every match almost. <laughs> the crowd is mildly into it. I I don't think they're as into it as any of the other matches so far. Even the Denny Brown stuff was getting bigger pops than this one was. You know, there's there's a few spots where they get pretty excited, but not that not much. So the match ends after Manny misses like this huge dive and goes all the way to the outside. He flips over the ropes, Ooh. lands on he's the outside. He's not a small guy. No, he's a big guy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he misses like a crossbody kind of dive and goes flying outside. At least he's not landing on cement. <laughs> Concrete. <laughs> Concrete. <laughs> but he's landing on the nice soft grass. So that's, that's right. Maybe that's why he's like, ah, I'll go for it. <laughs> so the Baron goes out and gives him some kicks. And then Paul Jones gets over there with the whip, you know, the, the his little horse whip thing. And the crop, riding crop. Riding crop, Yes. Gives him a shot or two. So he's taking some punishment trying to get back in the ring. He's out on the apron, and the Baron awkwardly lifts him from the inside, to the, you know, from the outside to the inside. He picks him up in like a body slam position. A, so I'm going to slam Big John Stud, but I know he won't let me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so he slams Manny into the ring, but this gets reversed into a small package for a one, two, three. Oh, and Baron Von Raschke's 
brilliant career in NWA comes to yeah, a Not quite, but close. He has a little face turn before it's all over. Oh. It's all said okay, and done. good, good. <laughs> not tonight. So, no, uh, no, no. no. Okay. So Matt, Manny looks quite beat up as he's leaving because he's bleeding and he's, you know, he's leaving. He leaves right away. So there's some pretty funny shit with the Baron and Paul Jones protesting the, the whole thing and that there was a, pull, a handful of tights and they, they, they declared themselves the, the victors holding their hands up in the ring. It's some pretty good stuff. All right, the next match was the one I was dreading, and man, I laughed my ass off. Wahoo McDaniel versus Jimmy Garvin in a strap match was like a hundred times more entertaining than I ever knew. <laughs> like, it was great. Okay. So we got Precious, of course, and this is that whole idea of like, it's the four corners match, right? You can't win by pinfall. You got to drag your opponent and touch the four corners. So the first person who can touch four consecutive corners without being disrupted wins the match. Okay. So this is like Wahoo's famous for any kind of strap match, whether it's a four corners match or just a strap match. Like, you know, as you mentioned, he hits very hard and he hits even harder with a strap. So you kind of yeah. don't want to be in a match with Wahoo. More fearsome than Lenny Poffo. Yeah. So there I've never seen Jimmy Garvin and Precious make out like this. They're just like smooching up a storm to start this thing up. Hey. And they're just going at it, kissing, kissing, kissing. So Wahoo decides it's time to come over and give Jim Garvin a whip on the back with that strap. <laughs> really funny yeah and then precious comes storming into his face getting all mad and then he wheels back like he's gonna hit her so she takes off so much for the family show (laughs) that's right (laughs) so finally they get uh jimmy hooked up because at this point he doesn't even have the strap hooked up to his wrist yet right there's been all this delay in pre-match shenanigans so he gets hooked up to the strap and it's time for one last smooch with precious so of course whips him again (laughs) so jimmy continues to be all about the stall tactic so he tries to keep going outside the ring as you would do in a normal match but wahoo's so much stronger that he can just yank him back in every time right (laughs) and get in there and start chopping him and hitting him and slapping him we mentioned barney rubble earlier with nelson royal i feel that wahoo mcdaniel's got a body like fred flintstone yeah (laughs) that's that's you know that's a you know Big but rotund guy. Not that I ever thought Fred Flintstone was an ass kicker. No, but, no. I mean, you know. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Every time you saw him in any kind of confrontation, it didn't go very well for yeah. him. <laughs> Another good thing that they're doing is, you know, they're doing a bit of a tug of war thing in the ring, like struggling for control. Mm. But what but what they also have is they have slack. They have the strap, you know, folded over on itself. So Wahoo, every once in a while, would use this like flick of the strap, this like loose stuff to like slap. Jim Garvin on the hand ah. <laughs> so then he would have to sell like the hurt hand for a while and right no cookies get, yeah getting, getting some good stuff so Jimmy finally gets like a headlock and this is reversed with a strap lift to the groin ouch <laughs> oh yeah it's pretty pretty rough for him so they end up on the outside of the ring on opposite sides of the post and the straps kind of running through the inside of the ring let's say between yeah. the two and there's like a tug of war they're trying to like pull each other into hit smash face first into the pole uh-huh. and it's very funny because after a little bit, Jimmy Garvin slides back in the ring. So now he's like, high ground. You know, I've got like, I've got the leverage. So he's trying again and Wahoo totally can't move him. You know, he can't move Wahoo. Wahoo's too strong. So Wahoo's just like in the full on tug of war like position, like fully braced, like all of his weight. And Jimmy Garvin's struggling, struggling. And then he finally like looks at his hands and he realizes like, and he just lets go. <laughs> and there's enough slack that Wahoo McDowell takes this huge spill over the railing on this cop and like this fan ah. <laughs> and he spills over them. Nice. So Jimmy Garvin's like, this is my chance. 
So he like he slides out immediately underneath the rope, and he but he only gets partway there because there's not enough. He's it's still wrapped around the ro- the post. Right. <laughs> so he has to go back in the ring to go out the other side nice. to come over and start landing the punches. But Good. just a few spots here. I've just I've seen a lot of strap matches. I've you know there's three or four spots already that I've never seen before. Like so oh. I thought they were being really clever and just really funny. By the way, Baby Doll's not there, is she? Uh, Precious. But I saw a promo with Baby Doll and Wahoo. Oh, that must have been for a different angle. Probably had a match. They probably had a match with a mixed. Probably had a mixed tag match, maybe at some point. Yeah. Well, there was a strange set of promos where, like, without cutting, they had like um, Boogie Woogie, Magnum TA, and Wahoo all in one take. You know, like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like Wahoo had Baby Doll beside him, and, and he was kind of like saying, "And if Precious tries anything, and Baby Doll." I wonder if she was with him for a minute or two or if I'm making the stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know what you mean. I think I did see a sort of a montage of good guys doing promos. So anything's possible. So it's about five minutes in and Wahoo's bleeding. So Jimmy's gotten enough shots on him with his strap and with his fist to, you know, do that kind of stuff. So Jimmy tries for a pin at this point, And that's where the ref has to slap him on the back and be like, no, no, no. You got to you gotta drag the guy to the corner. You can't, uh, you can't pin him. There's no pinfalls. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the thing is, is that Jimmy Garvin's going to have a heck of a, hard, a lot harder time dragging Wahoo around than Wahoo's going to have dragging him around. Right. Yeah, so it's pretty funny. Garvin does go for it, so he gets to a third post. So he's touched three posts now, and he's going for the fourth. Wahoo's able to get his feet up and kick Jimmy Garvin off and get back on advantage, and he's pummeling him in the corner. And Precious is funny. She's, like, yelling, like, keep fighting, keep fighting. <laughs> but like, but he's just getting pummeled. <laughs> it's, it's pretty nice, funny when he picks nice. it up. And at that point, Wahoo's on her at her he doesn't spit on her right. he spits at her and she runs away this great squeal like Yay! like and she runs right. away it's really funny so wahoo goes for his goes for it he starts dragging he gets two corners and he's dragging garvin to the third and garvin doesn't look like he has any way of getting out but he's walking backwards and precious just reaches in from underneath the rope and trips him like because he's walking backwards and he takes a good spill like it's a you know it, it looks believable that this would cause him to sort of lose the advantage so that gets Jimmy back so on she, top. So yeah, she trips Wahoo. Yeah, she trips Wahoo. Right. She grabs yeah. like the back of his heel, basically. Like, for a second there, I thought she was like, she trips Jimmy so that he's not walking. <laughs> no, no Jimmy's yeah. literally being dragged Drag, on his back, yeah, you know, yeah. like, right. yeah. Way to go, Precious. <laughs> so at this point, Jimmy's got a small bit of an advantage, so he decides to go up to the top rope from the inside, you know, goes up to the second and then the top. But by the time he gets to the top, Wahoo's ready. So Wahoo gives him a big yank, and he takes a big front flip back bump, smash, and Wahoo delivers the massive elbow drop, which is which is essentially, in a way, was one of his big finishers. That's kind of how he ended most of his matches, with just this big elbow drop. So then he uses the strap, and he kind of ties up Jimmy's arms, and he drags him from one post to a second post to a third post, and he's showing that he's really, like, hurt because he's, like, he's tapping the post with his head. He's, like, he's too tired to, like, you know, reach up. He's just using his head. As he's heading to the fourth one, I'm like, precious, trip him. But instead, she gets up on the apron, and she starts giving him the... She starts slapping him and stuff like that, but he just totally ignores her and just keeps going. And he touches the fourth post and basically wins the match. Hooray. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But then Jimmy Garvin, he gets the the can of he gets the spray, <laughs> but uh-huh. he doesn't blind him with it. He uses it as a weapon. <laughs> he just starts hitting him with like this can and stuff like that. And he gets a bunch of shots in. And then Wahoo starts like kind of coming too. It's like these hits are waking him up. <laughs> and then basically <laughs> when Jimmy realizes get about the point where Wahoo's about to start hitting back, that's when he hits the bricks. Right. Jimmy's giving him shots. Yeah. Have espresso. <laughs> Take that. It's <laughs> really good. We're almost at some of the big main event matches. So this is a really big angle. We didn't cover it. So the, one of the big angles we missed on these TV shows was Ronnie Garvin being injured by the horseman. So there was this thing where Tully and the horseman injured Ron Garvin's big punching hand, you know, after that whole thing with Flair. They didn't want him to have his knockout punch. Right. So they did this whole thing where they smashed his hand into the ring post and 
doubled and triple teamed them. So right. This is a taped fist match. Okay. Not a good idea for Tully to get into a taped fist match with a guy named Hansa Stone. <laughs> no. Bad news. So we see Tully arriving in a golf cart, and he gets out. He's got this black robe with silver designs. There's no music of any kind playing, even though, like, I, and, you know, there's nothing dubbed in either, so I think it's just legit. And Tommy Young finally comes in to give poor Earl Hebner a break because Earl's been the ref every match. So we finally see Tommy Young for the first time. It's a really long wait for Ron Garvin to show up. And finally... This golf cart comes again, and we see a very young Dustin Rhodes driving the golf cart, and Ron Garvin's in it, and he's got a very bloodied Wahoo McDaniels there with him as his corner man. It's kind of strange. So Garvin's in white. He's got his signature towel, and the, these match they announce has rounds and rest periods. So it's like, uh, and there's no wrestling. It's literally just po- it's supposed to be boxing, basically, like just punching. You're not allowed to kick. You're not allowed to wrestle. You're not allowed to do moves. Grudge match. Grudge match. <laughs> So in this point, Blanchard is the national champ, but the belt is not on the line. It's just a grudge match, as Jeff has mentioned that word already. And this is all about that injury, like I said. And there's 10 three-minute rounds and 30-minute rest periods. JJ is inspecting Garvin's hands because he doesn't. He thinks there's something fishy with Garvin's tape job. So Tully takes this opportunity to charge at him, and Ronnie Garvin catches him in a back body drop. And then as soon as Tully gets up, he clocks him with that punch that he knocked Ric Flair out with. And Tully's out. Like, Tully's laid out with the belt around his waist, like, completely asleep <laughs> with his robe on, and the bell hasn't rung yet. Oh, I love it. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So JJ's arguing the match can't start yet, and there was all these things. It's really funny. I got to tell you, these JJ and Tully are, like, so amazing in this match. It is so funny. He's just irate. He just he wants the, the match delayed. So he gets out and he splashes some water on Tully's face and he's fanning him with the towel. He's trying to get him up and Tully's playing it perfectly, like as if he's literally been knocked out. Like he's he's totally out on his feet. That's hilarious. So Wahoo's holding Ron back for some reason at this point. You can't even tell why, but Tully's just mastery selling this knockout. He's just all over the place, drunk, staggering, trying to get himself up on the ropes. And so as soon as the match starts, it's just Tully swinging at air. And then, like, Ron Garvin cleanly landing un- unprotected punches to the face, like, one after the other after the other. It is so funny. He's just getting battered the entire time. It's just vintage Blanchard. I found out when as I got older, like, I started to notice things in matches that he would do that would just, I would find so funny. And this match is, like, a perfect example of it. He just, he totally knows how to, like, sell every moment and, like, get something out of everything. And just, he makes Ron Garvin look like Superman. So he has to actually, like, beat the count up, which the ref did, you know, at the beginning, like I said, he trying to get himself up on the ropes and every time he goes down there's another count At the end of the round they kind of slow things down and he's kind of playing peekaboo like he's trying to like hide behind his hands and like look out but about every third time like ron garvin just pop pops him in the face so ron garvin didn't take a single punch in the first round ron garvin turns to go back to his corner and tully musters you know a second wind here and he charges at ron garvin who turns around and once again knocks him out <laughs> so he spends the entire 30 second round just flat on his back eyes closed <laughs> and jj dylan's just like in there with the towel and he's asking for a delay and extension <laughs> it's really good so when you begin round two Tully's just still flat out. He has to beat the count. Like, that's literally how round two starts. It gets to, like, about an eight count before he's back up on his feet. Right. Well, that's the origin of the term, tow the line. Yeah. People, you know, like, it's not like a tugboat tow or a vehicle tow. I mean, it means, you know, on your foot. You had to put the toe of your foot on the line to show you, or you had to stand up to do it. Yeah, yeah. And you had to come to the middle of the ring. So, tow the line means get up and get ready to fight. Oh, wow, neat. And if you couldn't tow the line, you stayed in your corner, that was the end of the fight. Wow. Bell rings, you're done. So early in round two, Ron's using headbutts. He's like cheating. And Tully finally sneaks in like one kick, 
but is immediately knocked down by like Carvin. It doesn't really do much to Carvin this kick. So there's another eight count. And I mean, like this, this match, I found, I was laughing as much as I did. Remember that Funk Hogan match, like the house card one where it was about eight minutes of Hogan just beating the shit out of Terry Funk, where yeah. like, it was kind of like that. Like, you're just like laughing the entire time. So Tully's just fully bleeding and just swinging at the ref. He's swinging at anybody. Like he, he just completely looks like he needs to go to the hospital. It's super funny. Tully tries like a double leg takedown, which he doesn't get, but he ends up actually backdropping Ron Garvin all over, over the top. If that they end up in a wrestling move, so like they're Tully's on top of them, so they do that backbridge thing, you know, where you hold on to each other and they both backbridge up, and then they're transitioning into like a backslide position, and they're battling for they're battling for you know leverage, and you just hear like the ref the whole time's like, guys, it's not wrestling, guys, guys, no wrestling. <laughs> I really like that. At the end of the round, Ron is shoving Tommy Young and even throws him a bit, which is weird, and he doesn't get reprimanded or disqualified or anything like that. At the beginning of the next round, he's super aggressive again, but this finally is where Tully gets a move. So he he gets him, he manages to do the thing where you grab the guy's tights and you pull him and you pull him kind of as you're falling down and you throw him out and he, he hits the post and he goes outside the ring. So he's finally hurt a bit. So JJ at this point dumps a bucket of water on Tully's head to wake him up completely. So now Tully's finally like, you know, up and ready to actually fight as opposed to this drunk swing. So for the first time we see that he's landing some shots and it doesn't take much. Garvin is bleeding. So at the end of round three, it, it's, there's no bell. At the start of round four, Tully's pounding on Garvin, but he starts to do like the Hulk up, <laughs> the Ronnie Garvin Hulk up. We've never seen it before. It's not, it's not a good sight. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> Quaker Oats. So Tully cuts him off with this like illegal body slam and like a knee drop and an elbow drop. And Ron does fight back and knocks Tully to the outside again. So Blanchard pulls Garvin out underneath the ropes. But this all ends in him taking a swing at Wahoo, who's come over and he misses. So Wahoo gives him an atomic drop right into Ronnie Garvin's punch. <laughs> so now Tully's knocked out on the outside. Mm, love it. <laughs> yeah. So Tully crawls back in to return to a full punching bag status. There's a nine count on Tully to end that round so it's just they like it was i it seemed like this match would be over in the first couple of rounds but they kind of drag it out a little bit longer but like i said between jj and tully like they're making it really in, it's really funny in between rounds jj's encouraging tully as he's basically knocked out he's like he doesn't need more tape on that hand you can knock him out so he's like putting tape on he's wrapping and i looked at it like three times because i thought for sure i was like oh did he slip like did he slip like brass knucks in there or like a right. piece of metal or something uh-huh. but there wasn't anything he's just putting more tape on okay so it's pretty, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. So Tully comes out with this newly freshly taped fist, but he's just missing every shot he's throwing. He's just taking shot after shot and he goes down and he has to beat the count back up again. Shortly after that, he actually managed to do a back suplex, which again, he's not supposed to have done. And he tries an attempt off an attack off the top rope, but they do like double punch. So like Garvin hits him as he's coming down and he hits Garvin. So the ref administers the 10 count and counts to 10. Both guys down. Oh. So then he goes over, Tommy Young goes over to the ropes and leans through and informs the, the ring announcer that there must be a winner. And the first man who reaches his feet is going to win this match. So the first Ooh, guy to stand up. Okay. So they do this big count. So at about five, about the five count, JJ comes in with the towel <laughs> and he's trying to wake up uh, Tully Blanchard. So the ref makes him leave. And while he does that, Wahoo comes in with a bucket of water and splashes it on Ronnie Garvin and he's managed to stagger up in about eight, nine count. He's up on the ropes and Tom Young finally realizes that Ronnie Garvin's got up and awards him the victory. And it's pretty funny because Ronnie Garvin looks like Flair. He's got like the, the beach blonde hair, but he's got all the blood in it, you know? So like he has that look and it's really great. The post-match stuff, JJ is like, he's showing the ref the water. Like he's disputing the win because of the water. He gets on the mic and he announces that anyone in the crowd who says... I quit 
because of the whole I quit match that Tully Blanchard had the year before, is going to get kicked out of the stadium. And, and, he, and he throws the bucket at Tommy Young. <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah, I did see that, you know. Yo, when I'm through with you, you'll be finished. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's threatening him. I'm going to hear, you'll never work again. <laughs> yeah, pretty good threats. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're into like main event country here pretty much. So we have a big grudge match, Road Warriors versus the Russians in a double chain match. Well, what I think is so cool is that they uh, wrestled one year earlier when uh, Nikita was actually challenging Flair for the world title. There was the AWA World Tag Team Champions, the Road Warriors, brought over to fight Khrushchev, um, their buddy, Barry Darsaw, later to be Repo Man. (laughs) And uh, so one year earlier, yeah, the the Road Warriors were the import from the AWA to China. It was like they both had belts. So like I I just like as as research to this match, I looked back and saw that, uh, wow, like how exciting would that have been to borrow this, these monster baby faces slash heels from the AWA. And they came in and, and fought Koloff and Khrushchev one year. And like, and you know, I actually, they, what was funny was that the belts were on the line. Of course, they didn't change hands. But, uh, <laughs> but boy, think about the excitement of the first Great American Bash, Road Warriors versus a variation of the Russians because they had the Freebird rule. Yeah. But this is in some ways a return match, you know, yeah. because one year later. But now it's Nikita and Ivan Koloff. Khrushchev is uh, not on the scene any longer. Well, we saw him in the, uh, we saw him with the crutch. He uh, was, he was, he'd just come back from oh, injury. Terrible promo where yeah, like, yeah, 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 nothing yeah. to say. He's, yeah, taking he's, up he's 80... blocking up the screen. <laughs> yeah. Bad. Uh, who's the stage manager on this one? <laughs> anyway, so that's the setup. So my favorite tag team squares off against the fierce Russians, but the much more potent version. Because, I mean, come on. You know, if you haven't gotten a key to Koloff in there, then you've you've got like, uh, that's <laughs> like having crush and crush. <laughs> and no axe, no smash. <laughs> uh, having said that, Crush was a big bad dude, so he wasn't really a weak. Okay, I, I, let, yeah. me, let me say this. Uh, <laughs> my poor old favorite punching bag. Buddy Roberts. There you go, yes. <laughs> that's right. Like two Buddy Roberts representing the Freebirds. Yeah, that's right. You know, like, okay, if you can't do that, what's the best? Like, okay, David Wolf teams with Buddy that's Roberts right. to represent the Freebirds. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Anyway, so no, this is Nikita and Ivan. Now, of course, you have the um, the mentor relationship between Ivan. This is his uh, kayfabe nephew. That's right. And uh, Ivan, if we haven't said it before, is a former WWWF world champion. That's right. The Russian bear. And in his earlier days, uh, uh, I mean, he, he's now 50 if he's a day or 50 something. Right, yeah. So he's a, he, he's a weather beaten veteran. He, he's like a, a log that can't be, bro- <laughs> can't be broken. And then Nikita is one of this new generation. He's got a body like the Road Warriors. He's actually smaller, but I mean, you know, when you're as ripped as Paul Orndorff or, you know, in this case, uh, Nikita Koloff, you're just, you, you know, you can weigh in there with the heavyweight boys or Tony Atlas, they can be bigger than you and you're still imposing. So both road warriors are bigger than either one of the Russians, <laughs> but like Nikita is a, is still a monster. Nikita is still a monster. Definitely. The Koloffs are wearing black singlets with a, a red banner that has 3CP1, CCCP1, which was the government's radio station. They have this weird way of announcing the the Russians with their Eastern weight, 263 kilos yeah. versus good old USA pounds, 585 combined for the Road Warriors. Yes. Now, the Road Warriors haven't, still haven't got their football pads, 
but they got a lot of spikes. Yeah, they almost got like a vest on. Yeah, like porcupine, yeah. you yes. know? <laughs> Big, metal, shiny, scary. <laughs> they look like they could be on the cover of a Judas Priest album, you know? Yeah, and I'm sure they got the Iron Man entrance. We just don't get to see it at all. Yeah. So and we, but, but we also don't have to suffer through fake heavy metal music <laughs> replacement. <laughs> yes. I'll, I would prefer nothing to like their cheesy, corny, cover-up elevator music crap. That's right. So in this case, it's the right call, you know, or just pay the damn copyright. So it's a grudge match. <laughs> and double, <laughs> Another grudge match. Yeah. Well, it's a double Russian chain match, That's which right. means that uh, they've got these two length of chains and wrist collars. And so it's going to be a very interesting match because it's, it's unlike really anything I've seen before because um, there are no tags. Uh, both teams are going to have both wrestlers in there fighting the entire match. Texas Tornado style. Okay, That's cool. what the, the no tag tag team matches. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, thank you. With the extra added, in this case, that yeah. rule is combined with a strap match, which we yes. had a Yes, and great- the, the way to win the match differs from the strap match, so it makes it so that we don't feel like we're just having a repeat with partners. yeah. Yeah, when I'm pinfall. Glad for we're that. going for yeah. a pinfall. So it totally changes the structure of the match. The strategy and tactics of the match are completely different, not only because there's four people instead of two, but because you have to pin- get a pinfall. Not like if, it, if this was another four corners match, you know, it would just, we would feel like we were just watching a, you know, a, a variation of what yeah. we just watched. And so I'm glad that it's different from the Wahoo Garvin match, which sounded like a real winner. Animal gets chained to old Uncle Ivan, former <laughs> world champion. And Hawk is chained to Nikita. So it's the uh, the battle of the uh, laterals. Or what, are, yeah, what, yeah. Are, what are those muscles on the shoulders? <laughs> if the Traps? Because yeah, they both got like those, you know, poppy-outy yeah, traps. That's right. Neck and traps. Yeah. Their shoulders have these like crazy right angles. Elevations. Yeah. It's like they're made out of Lego blicks or something. <laughs> Lego, they're so squared <laughs> off. These, yeah. these huge muscles on both of these guys. So that's kind of cool. Before the action really gets into it, they're kind of feeling each other out by like uh, pulling the chain taut between the two of them. So there's a tension, like a little mini tug of war. Each pair has got the, uh, this length of steel chain, which which always sounds more like a pocket full of change. It doesn't sound like the deadly weapon that it is, you know, these, <laughs> the beads in a in a tin can. But yeah, uh, yeah. the sound uh, is, uh, you know, belies the fact that this is basically a match where foreign object is legal to use as That's a right. weapon. The entire oh, time. That's right. <laughs> well, so one second. Speaking of sounds, I totally blew this. I, I meant to bring this up at the beginning of the card. I don't know if it's just the camera's audio or what, but the ropes have such a unique sound in this show. Like every, like the slightest touch of the ropes makes this like, I don't know what how to describe it. Crinkling, wrinkling, like, you rattling. know, kind of rattling noise. Yeah. So every time someone gets whipped off the ropes or bounced off the ropes, you get this weird little sound. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. So there we go. Yep. We got the sound of the chains. We got the sound of the ropes. It plays a factor in the world title match later on. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody gets busted because of the audio. <laughs> Tommy Young's like, I hear it. I hear it. Let go. Let go of that hold. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. It's one of the, the interesting aspects of not having any commentary that Corey was talking about earlier. All four guys are in there and they're kind of pulling, but they're not completely dug in for the tug of war. But both of the Russians with their shaved heads also happen to have about six feet of 
chain that they're not yanking on, that they've kind of just left loose on the other side of their fist. And so as one, they take big overhand swipes at each their their respective road warrior. Each road warrior ducks under this big, <laughs> looping, arcing, shiny chain swipe, and then they, the action begins. Animal immediately chokes Ivan. Hawk gives a big punch to Nikita's face, and then he starts to choke Nikita. Now, Nikita kind of sells it by going down to one knee, and you get Hawk ragdolling him. This takes, you know, what's going to be interesting is that I'm trying to describe two fights at once because they're both happening simultaneously. So Hawk manages to get Nikita on a uh, sort of like a ragdolling, choking back and forth, uh, you know, got him by the throat, and uh, it looks like he's just Homer on Bart Simpson. <laughs> While Ivan actually is able to quickly get the better of Animal by, you know, pulling about a foot of chain taut and really tight between his two, like, you know, pulling so that it's like a weapon and then just thrusting it across Animal's throat so he's able to to, to get the edge over in that squabble. Ivan quickly climbs the third rope, but the camera angle's changing so quickly that it's hard to know what's going off. They, we, suddenly I'm looking at the ragdoll while I hear the bam of, you know, <laughs> Ivan coming down and I'm like, well, what happened? Did he catch him? Did he hit him? But, but like, when we get back, it's Animal still hurt. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it must have been a fist or something. Still landed something. Yeah, something kind of uh, attack uh, successful for Ivan while Nikita is uh, under Hawk's control. Ivan actually goes for a cover and he gets a two count. Meanwhile, Nikita is able to get on an even par by raking Hawk's eyes. He comes over and actually covers Animal as well (laughs) and gets a two count. Hawk gets back up, shoulders Nikita, and Ivan chokes Animal with the chain. Now, this is one of many points in the, the match where well, this is the most prominent point. I, I think I was already thinking this, but now I'm like, hey, Hawk, Animal's right there. This Get is what I wanted to bring like, up. Like what, they, they, gotta, they would glance what, over and acknowledge, like, could see it, but not acknowledge the fact that your buddy's getting beaten up. Do something. <laughs> yeah. This was the most jarring moment for me yeah. because definitely Animal is being strangled with a, by a piece of chain. Yeah. Like like Hawk could have uh, so easily just, from where he was standing, he could have reached out and karate kicked, or, you know, just side kicked and got Ivan in the head. Yeah. Instead, he ignores it and goes after Nikita. Yeah. You see this in Battle Royals sometimes, like tag team partners, faction members just ignore the fact that their buddy is about to get thrown out or is getting beaten up in the corner and they just walk away and go do something else and it's like what are you doing get back and help your friend <laughs> yeah well i guess probably the answer is there's a spot that hawk's not supposed to interfere with right. so hawk punches nikita while animal powers out of the chain choke around his right, throat yeah similar to powering out of a side headlock into a, a wrist lock battle right uh, animal does the slow like getting out of this and so that yeah. you know by the time he's done his his arms are fully extended at the top, at the top of his head and, the, and the, you know so that he's not being choked anymore yes and so that was what Hawk didn't want to mess up and then he elbows behind him to uh, get Cole off in the gut. Meanwhile, it's a new trademark for legendary wrestling oh, obsession. Yes. We had the Moroccan whip. We had whatever crazy bullshit I said last week. Georgian whip. Yeah, Georgia whip. Those are good ones. It's a choke pusher. The, the choke yeah, that debacle. <laughs> <laughs> now it's the chain line. It's a closed line. So I'm going to say now that when they hit you across the, 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 the throat or the chest with the yeah. chain instead of their arm, yeah. I'm calling it a chain line. A chain line. That's right. Chain line. <laughs> So, Hawk chain lines, trademark pending, Nikita, (laughs) 
Animal whips Ivan into the ropes and gives him a back elbow. And this is where I noticed the most, the crowdedness of the rope. Because, okay, maybe it was more prominent a bit later, but at this point, I'm starting to feel crowded. Like guys aren't able to do their moves properly because other guys are in the way. Uh, I think it gets particularly uh, noticeable in a few spots. Hawk takes a low blow from Nikita while Ivan is outside the ring animal is using the chain to pull him into the post similar to your strap match right. spot yeah, yeah so there's yeah. a bit of that a tug of war where the chain yep. the post is the weapon but yes. the chain you know is the physics to pull the guy into the weapon you see yep. and so uh, ivan takes the bump into the post because animal is clearly going to overpower like yeah. animal's the strongest guy there that's right and uh, ivan's probably the least strong yeah, of right. the four combatants so um he, you know but boy is he a war horse so ivan takes that bump and then he starts climbing the stairs to get back into the ring (laughs) meanwhile nikita clobbers hawk with the chain and in a minute animal clobbers ivan the same way at this point we start to hear some usa chants in the crowd at least Mm. you're not chanting rock and roll (laughs) (laughs) that would really chap our hides that's it we're turning heel right now (laughs) animal punches nikita which is not his guy but uh so finally so, so yeah so this is like so it's like half halfish way through the match maybe not halfway but it it's be about a, now. Ch- a chunk in the match we see these several spots where it's like these two singles matches happen to be taking place in the same ring that aren't acknowledging the fact that they're like they're together and then in the second half we start seeing nice good spots you know they're coming to each other's aids and they're they're double teaming or they're at least like breaking something up and so here we are, animals, you know, defending his buddy. You know, he uh, has a double axe handle from behind, you know, to, because Nikita is occupied. Animal goes back to choke Ivan, and Ivan's bleeding now. So skillfully done. I didn't see how. Oh, wait, but he was outside. That's usually a good opportunity. Nikita, meanwhile, is able to get some advantage time. He clubs Hawk and chokes him in the corner while Animal lets go of Ivan's throat with the chain, and he whips him. And now this is the clumsy spot where... Tommy Young is watching Nikita and Hawk in one corner. Hawk almost trips over the chain. And uh, it's just everything is like, so Tommy, like, it's got to like, look, suddenly he sees 90 degrees to his right that Ivan Koloff is coming towards him. And just things look very clumsy. This is the clumsiest point. He gets knocked over. Like, it looks like a really awkward bump. Tommy Young, like not a, not a knock him out bump, just a knock him over bump, and he has to get back up. Let's say that's it's a, it's not a kayfabe bump, you know, where it's kind of like it, yeah, he looked it, like he got tripped. Yeah, animal stepping over the chain. He's whipped Ivan, and Tommy Young is you he's know like not looking. <laughs> yeah, he's in the way. So I don't think that Tommy Young goes flying. No, at no, this point. no. He just kind of stumbles to the ground, you know, like he yeah. trips, and then he just immediately gets up. Yeah, it's all pretty awkward, but. We do. Ivan does carry through, and Animal delivers a chain line, <laughs> and uh, there's a two count. So Tommy obviously isn't injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah because, he doesn't sell it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was it was just like the the, the stumbliness of the match as opposed yeah. to storyline. That two count happens, and now Nikita chain lines Hawk. So they're really uh, you know bringing the gimmick into it. Ivan climbs up to the third rope, the turnbuckle, but Animal catches him. That's right. And he's going to get a slam, but Hawk is currently down in the other side of the ring and Nikita is actually chain whipping him like hitting him across the back chain Animal gets a two count after uh, dropping Ivan from the top rope now Hawk is able to rally and he manages to uh, get the chain between Nikita's legs (laughs) and he does a crazy you know big stand up yank and ouch Nikita does a sort of a somersault flip and takes the sort of old like chain to the crotch you know bump I remember at this point in the match watching feeling like 
Hawk had been at the disadvantage for a long time, and this was the equivalent of a hot tag. Like, you know, he, he was like, he was finally having a comeback. <laughs> well said, yeah. Hawk, Hawk just whips Nikita with the chain. <laughs> and he decides to, uh, he, he rolls out of the ring. Now, Ivan is able to uh, retaliate against Animal by basically kind of doing a leaning forward and then just sort of butt-butting Animal in the gut. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he butts Animal in the gut and manages to get the better of that exchange over there. Because you've got to sell for the Russians. You can't yep. you just have the road warriors only destroying them. Hawk clubs Nikita's guts with the chain, kind of like the uh, sledgehammer, lace up your fists and slam him in the gut. Ivan covers Animal, but Animal escapes a pinfall by putting his foot on the rope. Nikita rallies outside. He rolls into the ring and Hawk follows him in. Meanwhile, Animal knees Ivan and he elbows Ivan and then he chain chokes him and... Nikita manages to get a two count on Hawk. Here's where we have some fun with no commentators. Ivan's begging for help. Yeah, Nikita! Yeah. Nikita! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he comes to the rescue. Yeah, exactly. It works. Like yeah. you're saying, this is where they're really smoothly doing that. So they start to double team Animal. And uh, Hawk tries to get back involved, but but No. He gets a double team. So uh, the Russians are, are seem to be working much more smoothly together than our beloved road warriors. That's right. Nikita holds uh, Hawk's arms and Iba punches him. And actually, uh, there's a level of an exchange of audio that I just love. You can actually, animal, <laughs> Hawk is calling for help. Yes, that's what I was waiting for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great because it's like I'm waiting for him to go over and hit him. And then all of a sudden I hear Hawk, Hawk, Hawk start calling him. And yeah. sure enough. <laughs> so Animal tries to come over, but he gets hit in the gut. And you hear a, ah, shit. <laughs> and then you hear somebody in the audience go because <laughs> you know the, the wrestlers don't often goof and cuss like that yeah but it was uh pretty fun the russians are still in control ivan is holding animal's arm and he boots him in the gut a couple of times ivan snapmares animals and uh the double team continues hawk is getting choked and we have another rescue attempt thwarted animal chain lines hawk across the throat when he's trying to get to sorry animal across the throat throat so hawk is down and it's animal who tries to help out but he just gets a chain line to the throat for his efforts animal is in the corner and meanwhile hawk actually gets a little bit of steam he climbs up to the second turnbuckle and gives a nice chain wrapped fist on nikita which knocks him down then hawk hits Ivan. Hawk gets Nikita up and gives him a nice chain line, puts Nikita in a headlock, but Nikita pushes him off into Tommy Young. So here we have our first bump. Animal drop kicks, ref bump. Animal drop kicks Ivan and Hawk gets hit from behind and he takes a bump out to outside of the ring and kind of falls on top of Tommy Young. Poor Tommy. <laughs> Animal is choking Ivan and meanwhile Nikita slides up under the ring apron and he frees his wrist from the chain so right, he's yes. no longer bound and this the consequence of this is that he's able to use his dreaded russian eastern secret weapon he sets it up and without knowing that he's victim to it nikita koloff delivers a sickening russian sickle across animal's chest and just like the winter harvest animal is felled <laughs> Nikita goes back where he came from and kind of hides his wrist in the fact that he's cheated and unlocked himself from the chain. Right. As if that's going to be a disqualification. So sure, we'll go for it. <laughs> okay. Tommy Young wakes up and he climbs back into the ring. Ivan climbs up to the third rope and he's going to deliver some blistering offense. But Paul Ellering finally gets involved. That's right. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah. And he pushes Ivan Koloff, who, uh-oh, lands... Wishbone style, crotch first under the top rope. Ouch. <laughs> and too bad for him, he bounces into the ring, which gives 
animal a chance to cover and get the one, two, three. <laughs> and so the Road Warriors defeat the Koloffs in the double Russian chain match. But before any great celebration can happen, Nikita Koloff's got to look good. And he does, because he starts delivering some serious beatings to everybody. Sorry, before Hawk can rally, uh, Animal gets another sickle, and then Paul Ellering gets a sickle, and they're laid out. They sell them, like like, like Tully Blanchard. (laughs) They're on on their back. (laughs) So Hawk does manage to rally. He actually gets double teamed before, he, he, uh, you know, instead of clearing the ring, yes, the, yeah. the Russians start beating up Hawk yeah, with right. the animal down and Paul Ellering down. Hawk takes enough of a beating for Animal to regain that's his right. senses. So they don't need a rescue from rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> animal finally gets up. Well, the way they do it, they don't see Animal get up. That's right. Yeah. And so they, they think they've got Hawk at his mercy. So, uh, Ivan holds Hawk's arms behind his back and Nikita like makes it look like he's going to whip the, you know, like a big overhand, like almost that first attempt uh, at offense in the match where they uh, swing the chain like a baseball bat, you know. So they're setting up Hawk for a big overhand swing of this length of chain that's doubled over and looped, but they don't know that Animal's on his feet. So as Nikita, like, you know, kind of, like, winds up or, like, you know, reaches way back to get a huge swing, Animal grabs the chain, and Nikita's like, oh, shit, he's recovered, oh, no. And he gives it a yank. Of course, they don't get to whip Hawk with the big chain, and and that's how Animal comes back into the ring, and he rallies and and, uh, gives a couple of shots, and Hawk comes to his senses, and Cola and Ivan realize, "Uh oh, they're they're uh, they're back, and so uh, they hit the bricks, and the road <laughs> warriors get to cel- celebrate. And Paul Ellering, you know, recovers too, even though he's taken a sickle, so he's hurt. Tough but, guy. Yeah, but uh, that is how the road warriors come out on top at the Great American Bash. Yeah, the chain spot reminds me of like when the person holds the chair over their head for a little too long, waiting for someone to grab it from them. <laughs> yeah, somebody's supposed to be thwarting me right now. <laughs> yeah, but it was pretty well executed. Yes. Anyway, a great match, although kind of hard to follow. <laughs> a little hard to follow. Yeah, that's right. That leaves us with three matches left on the card. And for me, one match that seems a little bit out of order as far as how high up it is importance, but really shows the popularity of Boogie Woogie Man, is the haircut match. We have mentioned before that we are aware of Jimmy Valiant's success and charisma, but we didn't really ever get much of a look at it. I, so uh, now I've seen a few promos, and yeah, he's like, he's an entertainer, all right. Like, as far as. Uh, you know, you've got Magnum T.A. sitting in a chair with Bill Apter, you know, <laughs> and then you've got Boogie Woogie Man, who's just had a dozen jalapeno poppers and, you know, his espresso. <laughs> he's like, he's keyed up and he's high energy. Yeah, yeah. He has, a, he has a certain shtick and he knows how to use it. And during these shows, when we were trying to find information, I did come across the clip where basically Pistol Pez Watley did his heel turn, which kind of leads to this match. And it's a promo. They're out there. They're together on the promo. And it's not in front of the, you know, the normal desk. This is literally one of those sort of like AWA style, like backstage kind of promos, I think. And Boogie Woogie's not looking at, at Pez. And I don't know what it is. I think it's something as simple as he refers to him as Pez Watley. And... Watley gives him this real dirty look, you know, like shifts his head. And that's a subtle, subtle turn. And then shortly after that, he, you know, actually turns on him, helps them beat up Boogie. That's when he starts using the name Shashka Watley to try and, you know, change his name to, you know, indicate he's now a bad guy. Right. Well, it's hard to get behind it when you haven't seen the build. Exactly. And I have heard a lot of audio from this year of him talking and his promos are really funny. 
I can't say that when I watch his match, it really excites me or you know makes me want to watch him wrestle. But I do like watching his promos. So he's kind of he's got half the game. And yeah, he looks like he's on the um, the decline of his physical athleticism, and he's not the youngest wrestler. So no. you know his his in ring performances is it, it, it doesn't yeah thrill. He's not a high flyer. No, he's not uh, very strong. He's one of these guys who, like, you know, can take a beating and then, you know, hopefully get you with the sleeper, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I honestly haven't seen him wrestle enough to even really know what his signature moves are or what his finisher would be. I've just, you know, seen him in the ring a few times, and most most of his stuff's just on the mic. I believe the sleeper is in there. Yeah. Well, what we end up with is an edit. So the match starts in progress, and uh, Watley's got Valiant down. He's beating on him. And again, it's a hair match, so this is an important thing because Boogie's got a lot of hair. He's got he's got the hair braided and it's down everywhere. And he's got the big beard, you know. He's got the Willie Nelson kind of hippie look going, and and if he loses, that's a, a lot of hair to lose. So Boogie, the whole match kind of just does his thing, which is like whether he's winning or losing, he's kind of shaking and vibrating and trying to clap his way back into like getting on top, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he, he's not looking for any technical moves here. He's got clap punch, clap punch, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, and he really, like, he understands the crowd. That's the other thing. Like, he never stops working the crowd. That's right, yeah. Every second he's like, you know, are you with me? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I need you. Exactly, yeah. He definitely is someone who, yeah, he feeds off the crowd. That's got to be the whole shtick. I mean, that's what people love is that, like, he's always, you know, yeah, he's Yeah, there. he can't do it without you. So exactly. it's like, you know, he brings you right in. He's so. got, he does, he's got, his arsenal is so, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> there's not a much, you know. There's not much there. make fun of Hogan for only having, like, two moves, three moves. Boogie's got about one and a half. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a few spots in it, but not too much. There's a really clumsy spot where Watley kind of double leg takedown and goes for the the sneaky cheaty feet up on the ropes trying to get leverage pin. And, but the whole process of getting him into it just didn't make either guy look very good, and you know wasn't wasn't really getting me too excited about the match. There's a, a good spot where. Paul Jones is out on the floor again. He's got that riding crop or riding whip or whatever, and he's able to, you know, give Boogie a shot in the ribs at one point when he's, like, leaning on the ropes. There's another part where Pez Watley gets him up in, like, the tree of woe, like, where you're hanging upside down. And that's where the crowd really gets upset because Paul Jones is, like, is, like, choking him from the outside, you know, like, oh. like pulling his neck under the rope or whatever, you right. know, from upside down, and that looks pretty good. And, uh, you know, I noted that it was Earl's back in, so, we, you know, we had Earl was the ref for all the matches, and then Tommy finally came out, but Tommy took a bump <laughs> in, the, in the Road Warriors match, so he had to take a break. So we get uh, we get Earl again. So Boogie's big comeback is basically his version of a Hulk Cup. He just stands there and shakes while he's getting punched and hit, and but he keeps, like, it keeps failing you know like the comeback is like it doesn't quite make it it doesn't get over the hill and then and then he starts coming back again and no another headbutt oh down he goes again so that's like like us trying to start our cars in a winnipeg winter that's, that's right know, <laughs> we are in manitoba frosty canada <laughs> there's a spot but we get pissed. there we get we always it, it starts that car <laughs> that's will right. start it will start it will start and keep Just it plugged give me, in folks yeah, give, me, give me another minute wait 30 seconds <laughs> There is a funny spot in the match where Pez Watley, again, no no commentators, so you can really hear it really clearly. He takes a moment to talk to the crowd with Boogie down and out, and he says, I got his ass now! <laughs> and he goes for this big elbow drop, and he, of course, misses. <laughs> so that's where you really finally get the big Boogie comeback, the bounce off the ropes, the punch, bounce off the rope, punch, and there's a whip, and then he gets... Watley into a sleeper and maybe Jeff's right that maybe they were trading sleepers or something in this match I can't quite remember but but there's definitely he gets him into a sleeper but this is where uh 
the Baron comes in because he's part of the Paul Jones army and he hits Boogie and he puts on this black glove. It's almost like it's supposed to be this power glove or something, you know, like forget about the claw. He's got like the deadly black leather glove. <laughs> and- yeah. Yeah, he's got the whole golf outfit. Before he was dressed as a cowboy, <laughs> now he's a golfer with a black. Okay, but the yeah, neither of this is what we remember from the AWA. Yeah, so at this point, your favorite Manny Fernandez comes out to sort of you know even the odds and starts brawling uh, with them. But the heels are kind of triple teaming him, and Boogie's funny because Boogie finds this glove has now been dropped. Right, so Boogie picks up the illegal object, the glove. And he's really hamming it up for the crowd and putting it on and taking his time. And Manny's getting like triple teamed this whole time. And it's just like Boogie, like, you know, enough. Get in there. (laughs) So he just like one punch knocks out Watley with his glove. (laughs) And then he lays down on him. And all you hear is the count because you can't see the ref. The ref is completely off camera, but you're... <laughs> the three count from the invisible ref, the you know the ref you can't see, Earl somewhere. I'm not really too sure where, and it's pretty funny because some other good guy wrestlers come out at this point, like Sam Houston and, and people, because it's time to shave somebody's head, and that's going to be Pistol Pez slash Shashko Watley. And normally, I think you could agree that when they shave somebody's head, they don't really shave their head. They kind of you know make a couple of take a couple swipes at it maybe they get some scissors out and cut a bit off and it kind of just they just mess up their hair and then maybe they come back at a later point with a properly shaved head but this they got some good clippers here because they Pez's hair comes off like 98% of it comes off they get it off him and there is a pretty funny spot once he's left alone in the ring with Paul Jones is that he kind of comes to and he sees his hair all over the floor and he starts picking it up to put it on his head (laughs) he's like no no (laughs) But this isn't going to end because this feud with the Paul Jones army is going to keep going. So this is kind of the first step of this big feud. That brings us to our last two matches. So there's an edit, so we don't know how long it took, but they had to erect a steel cage, which we know back in the day. This isn't coming down from no ceiling or nothing. This isn't pre-made. So I don't know if this is when they had the concert. I don't know if they took an intermission, but it would take a long time in the mid-80s to erect a steel cage. Yeah. Well, I saw a steel cage match in the Winnipeg Arena. It uh didn't really disrupt the show. I don't okay, remember yeah. like I don't remember like going, come on already. So, <laughs> yeah. So what we have is a six man and woman tag match, and it's Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA with Baby Doll versus the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. And the real heat here is between Jim Cornette and Baby Doll for the most part. Of course, the whole James Boy thing. So it's not it's not the James Boys. It's it's the actual legit Dusty and Magnum. So they went from you know feuding with. Oh, and I want to back that up for a second. So I had teased. In the last show that at the opening of one of the World Championship Wrestling episodes, you got a look of like, they were going to unmask the James boys. That was sort of the, you know, the teaser clip. But I never followed that up, which was that there was an interview segment that show where they're at the desk and they roll the footage and they show the footage and it's the James boys. I'll use quotation, you know, air quotes for that, are wrestling couple jobbers. But you're pretty quick to realize that Frank James slash Dusty Rhodes is, he looks like he's been on a diet. He's not quite as big. (laughs) And maybe Magnum's not quite as muscular, but he is using the bionic elbow and uh, they're getting, they're about to get the win on the chumps and the men express storm the ring and start beating them up quite easily. And then they get dusty down on two knees and they're like, pull the mask off. And it turns out to be a very well-known jobber from Crockett underneath the mask. Magnum and Dusty hit the ring right at that moment to chase them off. So it's kind of the whole, like, I don't know if you remember from like the 1960s Batman, but there was one episode where like Bruce Wayne had to like appear with Batman. So Albert, the butler, (laughs) was dressed up in the Batman costume like this 75-year-old man. (laughs) You know, like as if you can't tell with a white white mustache. 
hilarious. I know I did not remember that. That's pretty so good. So this though. is what it kind of reminds me of because it was like you know just like Jim, just like Jim Cornette said, like any idiot, any fool can see. It's like well, any idiot or fool can see that's not dusty. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Hasn't been a bigger scandal since the unmasking of Piper Machine. That's right. It's ever he unmasked himself. That's right. <laughs> So we got uh, Cornette in a red and black bodysuit. He's not looking quite as re- ridiculous as Jimmy Hart, but uh, he's doing his best to play that type of role in this match, and he does it really well. So he's standing up on the second rope, sort of declaring himself, you know, <laughs> the key man of the match. Each team's in their own corners. So you have, like, Dennis is in his light blue trunks. Bobby's in the long red tights. Dusty's got black trunks on. Magnum's got red trunks on. So they're almost kind of like, you know, matching each other a bit. And then Baby Doll's basically just wearing her manager outfit, except for she has wrestling boots on instead of high heels or something. But otherwise, she looks pretty similar as the way she would look from week to week in the interview set. And Baby Doll gets a pretty decent cheer. Like when they announce it, and you know, she gets a pretty big pop from the crowd. She's really quite over. And it's funny, the announcer does announce it as a six-man and woman, like he really emphasizes that tag team match. So the bell rings after a really long delay, and Cornet comes out boxing style, dukes up, but it's like he wants baby doll. <laughs> so he's like threatening, and of course he doesn't want to go any further than a certain point though. So after a little while, Bobby Eaton steps to baby doll, and she arm drags him. <laughs> he goes for like a big bump. It's it's pretty funny. Ooh. Yeah. And then Magnum and Dusty like beat him up pretty good, and Dennis just kind of stands there and doesn't doesn't help his buddy. It's, it's not very nice. So he's taking like punches and elbows and stuff like that. And then Dusty rams him into the cage, and Magnum punches him. So Bobby's just selling. And at this point, Cornette has climbed to the top rope, and he's facing the cage on the outside, like the, totally retreating. Right? He's just like doesn't want to be anywhere near any of this any of this violence. <laughs> it's, so his his men are going to be protecting him the whole match. So things calm down, of course. When we get Magnum and Bobby, they lock up, and Magnum lands a punch in the exchange. But when they go to a corner, Bobby does like a dirty break in the corner and lands three of his punches. And I've said it before. I'll say it every time. Bobby Eaton's like, for me, my favorite, favorite punch in wrestling. Can you think of somebody that maybe is a really great punch or who your like favorite punch in wrestling is? I'll have to uh, interrupt you later with my answer. Yeah, yeah okay. All right. <laughs> well, it's hard. It's hard to beat Bobby's. It just looks so great. There's a whip to the corner, but it's reversed. So Bobby comes into the corner, takes the bump in the corner, bounces out, staggers out to the ring, and Magnum lifts him up for, like, this press slam, but he only gets him about 80% of the way up, and it's like he slips. He kind of falls out of his hands, as you know, from, from above, and falls down for the slam. So Dennis charges in for the exact same thing, except for Dennis weighs a lot more than Bobby does. Ah. So Magnum only gets him about 20% of the way up, and literally has to just kind of, like, let him fall because <laughs> he can't, Oops. he can't, can't press, he can't press uh, Dennis from that position or whatever happened. They, they kind of botched it. So then Magnum punches Dennis back to his corner, and Dusty sneaks up on Bobby as he's standing up. He doesn't hit him; he just stands there and scares him, spooks him. <laughs> so there's a basically both teams retreat to their corners and have a little conference. So the right. heels got to go over this. This isn't this isn't going well so far. They haven't they haven't landed a you know much much uh, damage themselves, and they're just kind of getting their asses kicked. They come back in as Magnum and Bobby again back to the collar and elbow. Pete lands a couple of punches in the corner, but Magnum lands one back and then launches Bobby into the cage face first. And Bobby takes like this big leaping bump. You know he's just great at taking any any bump. He's so good at it. And then again, he second time smashed right into the cage. So Magnum brings Eaton over for the for Baby Doll to slap him, which the crowd just like this is what they're hot for, right? Like when yeah. Baby Doll slaps Bobby Eaton, it's like they go crazy. They just, this is so awesome. 
that she's given him their comeuppance. I mean, she took that flying shoulder tackle from Dusty a few weeks ago, so she's got to get some revenge. Dusty is tagged in, and he starts slow punching Bobby Eaton. And Condry tries to come in, and it's pretty silly, but Dusty just, from without really doing much, just starts punching them both, and they both sort of line themselves up like stunned punching bags. Dusty's doing the two-handed speed bag, one on each side of him, like just like, you know, over and over and over, the way you do like the single-handed punching on a speed bag, but one on each face. So they take big bumps off of that, off of bionic elbows for both of them. And again, Cornette's climbing the ropes, trying to climb out of the cage. He's worried somebody's going to come get him. So Dusty's heading over to come get him, you know, and like he's just basically scaling the cage to like escape. So Dennis has to come over and distract Dusty. But all that does is get Dennis Condry, you know, floored with another punch to the face. And at that point, Bobby's taken headfirst to the cage for like the cheese grater action. So now he's getting his face just raked back and forth on that steel cage. The mesh fence, as it were, as we're used to, the AWA, NWA style cage. So the fl- the blood is just flowing now from Bobby's head. He's, he's really bloody. And Dusty's delivering a standing elbow that launches Eaton all the way back to his own corner. So he tags in Dennis. And he comes in completely fresh and just falls to his knees and starts bargaining and begging. <laughs> <laughs> And Baby Doll says something because he's trying to like make some negotiation. And he goes, Shut up! (laughs) (laughs) Trying to make a deal. Like he's got his hands behind his back. Like he's completely. (laughs) Here's what we'll do. That's right. So Dusty just grabs him by the hair and tags in Magnum while holding Condry open for him. And uh, Magnum comes off with like a top rope axe handle shot. Not quite a savage style, but, uh, you know, still look pretty good. And he does this running punch to Bobby to knock him off the apron. And then Cornette ducks behind. He's like, Cornette's like basically like five inches tall. He's like as, to, like as low to the ground as he can be hiding, hiding behind the post between the post and the fence. It's anything you can do to just stay out. It's really good. So you can just tell at this point, they're just really building the heat for like, when are they finally going to get their hands on Jimmy Cornette? You know, like they just want to, people want to see him get his for sure. So Condry loses an exchange is rammed into the cage. So they're just, the bad guys are just taking a beating here. They're not really like putting up much of a fight and they're just getting their asses kicked, which is something that they were just so great at. So more punches. He's getting cheese grater now. And as Tommy Young starts to break things up, Baby Doll steps in and she grabs his head and starts messing it against the fence. So she's giving him the cheese grater action while the, you know, the ref is, is getting uh, Magnum or whoever it was, you know, out of the way. Ouch. That's pretty funny. Again, the crowd just like, that's, you know, the best thing that's happened in the match is Baby Doll getting in any offense and stuff like that. So, of course, he's bleeding now and Magnum launches him again into the fence and things just aren't looking good. Like, they just look like they're, they're ready to go down. But, you know, he's a veteran, so he knows how to sucker somebody in. So he's kind of like down in the corner. As Magnum comes in, he gets a kick to the stomach. And he quickly has Magnum up for a pile driver. Holds him up for the pile driver and drops him. But Magnum reverses it. And again, this is sort of different. Um, like We talked about the Robert Gibson spot where he kind of like, <laughs> the guy tried to handstand out and he gave him a little mini pile driver on the floor. So in this case... This is a normal pile driver, standing pile driver. And as Dennis goes to fall down and sit down with it, Magnum puts his hands down and just stands out of it. Oh. And then mounts him and just starts landing punch after punch after punch. Never seen that before. Exactly. Yeah, it was a very unique little counter that I hadn't I hadn't seen before in another match. So you know, they're pulling some stuff out here that's been lost to time, I think, because I'm like, where where are these these reversals now? And Dusty and Bobby had both come in in the background, and Dusty just clubs him as they, you know, they'd both come in. The ref clears things and Bobby pretends to leave. But then he turns around and he blindsides Dusty with his running knee. So Dennis stumbles around the ring and, and picks up Magnum so because they're, they're still in there. He gives him the honky-tonk man thumb. <laughs> gives him a little headlock and he hides it from the ref. But it's like, it's a cage match. Does he, does he have to hide the thumb? Is it, is it not just legal? You would think anything goes. Hmm. Instinct. That's right. 
These, the Baron taught him how to wrestle. <laughs> so the camera really focuses at this point. We see a clear shot of Big Bubba at ringside. You know, he's got the, the coat, the black hat, the shades, the white shirt. You know, he's looking pretty... Pardon me, he's actually in a white coat. Yeah, it looks a little different. He, it's just, He's dressed up for the paper, for the main event. Yeah, it just occurred to me that they put the hat and shades on him because he'd been, you know, jobbing. Yeah, yeah, you had to hide him a bit, you Exactly. Know? A month earlier, people don't want to recognize him and say, hey, I know that jobber. <laughs> That's right. Like, no, 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 his hat. He's got a hat on. He's got sunglasses. Yeah. You don't know this guy. So this is it. Cornette is tagged in. <laughs> he comes in, lines up a huge elbow drop, which, of course, misses. <laughs> And that gets the hot tag to Baby Doll. And so the crowd goes nuts for that. The people are all about it. They're just screaming their heads off. But Cornette immediately runs and tags Bobby Eaton before anybody can get their hands on him. Bobby comes in and he acts like he's going to go after Baby Doll. Like he's, you know, he's just going to go wrestler. You know, she's in the ring. He's going to go wrestler. But Dusty and Magnum aren't having any of that. So they both just immediately come in and start ragdolling him. And Condry has to take the bionic elbow while Bobby's eating Magnum punches. And he's punching him in the corner multiple times until Bobby rakes his eyes to stop that momentum. Cornette uses this opportunity to land some shots. So as he's stunned from the eye rake, Cornette's getting some shots in, his little weak, feeble punches. And Magnum here finally takes the steal. Eaton rams him into the cage, and he softens him up with some punches, leaving him staggering in the ring, and he scales the ropes to the top. And it's kind of like uh, Sergeant Slaughter in our star cage. He climbs backwards up to the top rope, and then he climbs up to the top of the cage. Oh, and he comes yikes. all the way off from the very top of the cage, for this really devastating looking forearm, you know, was with Magnum standing, so he can't, you know, he can't hit him with the Alabama jam or anything, but he, he comes right. off with this forearm, got some really nice. So they tag Condry back in for like a pin attempt. He gets a two count and then another cage shot. So they ram Magnum into the cage again, a couple more punches, and then Magnum does manage to floor Condry with a body kick while collapsed against the ropes. But Dennis recovers first and sends Magnum into Bobby's extended knee. So they're working, you know, finally got some of that Minute Express tag team work going. Bobby's working some punches to the gut. Then Magnum sends him reeling with his own punch. But once again, Bobby's still in better shape, so he regains enough to get control, and he goes to the top again this time. But when he comes down, it's fully countered. He gets just nailed in the face coming down. But Magnum, that's all he could do was, you know, get that shot off, and then he's down too. So both men are down. So Magnum collapses to the ropes in a neutral corner while Eaton rises to his knees. Bobby's there to land the first blow, falling himself after he hits him. There's a whip attempt, which is countered by a sunset flip. Magnum goes over the top. Condry comes in to break up that pin, but is mauled by the American Dream. We've seen enough of this. And the good guys now are back on top. They're battering the Midnight Express, so Baby Doll just charges across the ring and finally gets her hands on that little weasel, unsuspecting Jim Cornette. And she kind of like hockey shirts him, you know, over the top rope, flips him over, and she's standing over him, just landing landing blows down. And the Midnight Express is nowhere to be found in this camera angle. So there's a really great moment. Jim Cornette's like can't really defend himself very well, so he gets up and he turns to run away from Baby Doll, but he runs right into Dusty, and so then he stops dead in his tracks and he turns to run the other direction and he runs straight into Magnum. Uh oh! <laughs> so then he turns around one more time and jumps into a Baby Doll. What I'm going to call a super punch. Like she basically jumps in the air just as he turns around and she clocks him in the face, and then she dives on him for the one, two, three. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> so Jim Cornette, you know, doesn't have the best chin, so it would, you know, doesn't need to take too much to get him down. But that spot of him, like the the triple turnaround to get punched in the face, was really well timed and really well done. It looked awesome. I, I think Cornette could bump better than a lot of the wrestlers could, so he knew how to work. I remember there was a match down down the road. It's uh, Jim Cornette versus Paul Heyman. <laughs> Like a manager's match. Ah. And, uh, you know, you can just tell, like, Jim Cornette, can, he can, he's been around Bobby Eaton a long time. He can throw a good punch, and he knows how to, like, you know, he knows how to make it look good. So they're not done, though. So as they're celebrating, 
Uh, this is where the Midnight Express come in and get a last attack on Magnum, which he really sells really hard. Dusty chases them off, and the heels are leaving, but Big Dust doesn't like that there's another big man on the scene, so he starts yapping at Big, at big Bubba through the cage, who invites him out to come see what's going on on the floor. So Dusty obliges and comes out of the ring, but as he comes around the corner to approach Big Bubba, that's when Bobby Eaton hits him from behind. Ah. And Condry and Cornette hold the cage closed. So Magnum's trying to recover and can't get out of the cage. So now it's a two-on-one on the outside on, on Dusty. And they're just holding him open while Big Bubba just beats the crap out of him and lands blow after blow after blow. Magnum finally gets out of the cage, covered in blood himself. He, he The stretch there where he was losing, you know, when he got sent into the cage, he was bleeding. So you end up with like, all four guys are just bleeding, you know, bled a lot. So it kind of ends with the good guys. They won the match, but they didn't win the war. You know, kind of, you know, the, the bad guys got in the, uh, a really good last lick. Yes, made all the more difficult by the long walk back to the dressing room. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're looking for that golf cart, like, somebody give me a ride. <laughs> Exactly. We need those little mini rings from that haven't been created yet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that leaves us with the main event. Rick versus Ricky. Yes, indeed, the main event. Rock and Roll Express one half versus the world champion. And as we have mentioned, it's in a steel cage. Unfortunately, we don't get any entrance for Ricky Morton. What totally a missed opportunity. That, yeah. yeah. But earlier in the show, uh, you it doesn't get any better than the uh, clip that uh, you heard before. You yes, know, right. it's the Ed Sullivan show. It's the Beatles. It's it's the Rolling Stones. I've never seen anything like it in AWA or WWF or anywhere else. And it probably happened here. It sounds like it happened when Robert Gibson came in and you got That's to hear right. that, as Corey described. But what a shame. It's not a part of this broadcast. Pity. So Ricky Morton uh, is already in the ring and he's got uh, red and black tights on. He's also wearing a rigid plastic face mask nose protector and he's got bandages underneath that. <laughs> he's a beaten man. Yeah. Now, I remember how cool the helicopter was, you know, watching uh, the first. Well, was it? Yeah, great. Yeah. When, when Nikita Koloff, you yes. know. Well, unfortunately, the timing here sucks. And you spin up. I started fast forwarding through watching the helicopter. Yeah, you're not sure what it is you're supposed to be seeing. Like, if you don't know what you're seeing, then you're just like, okay, why are we taking a blurry image of the sky? Like, what what is it we're looking at here? Yeah. So the uh, momentum is killed where Ricky Morton's in the ring and he's got to wait, I think, three or four minutes for the helicopter to land. Once it lands, okay. Now the magic begins. <laughs> Ric Flair's got this lilac, light purple, beautiful robe with sparkly butterflies. And, you know, he just looks fantastic. He He's the epitome of a professional wrestler, especially a heel. I, I love how everybody, and it's ins- I understand why, everybody ducks getting out of a helicopter where the blades are still running, even though they're nowhere near the blades, but you just can't help it, right? Like, right. You're just like, I got to duck. <laughs> yeah, instinct. They actually roll out a length of red carpet for him. Uh, as he steps out of the helicopter and his music is played. So, you know, at least we get to see an awesome entrance for Ric Flair once you're done waiting for the helicopter to land. That's right. And he's got such a cocky strut. Like he knows the, that there's no show without him. It's just, like I said, uh, he, he epitomizes champion wrestler. Yeah. So the guy, there was a guy in the helicopter with him that I noticed the second time I looked at it. It's like he shakes his hand when they get out of the helicopter and I'd heard the story about they, this wasn't really planned by Crockett. It was brought to them by the radio station. So the radio station came to them and was like, hey, do you guys want to use our helicopter and do that entrance? 
So they were affiliated, and that's why the guy who does the ring announcing instead of the normal ring announcer at the beginning, right? DJ yeah. Or whatever. Well, well, sure, because there's a guy to introduce the guys. There's two guys. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> one of the guys is the big guy, and so you know, I'm just like, which guys? Who's guys? But anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, a pair of local DJs, you know, uh, do some announcing. And uh, as they're announcing Flair, it actually sounds like a Bret Hart promo. You, I don't know if you noticed, but the guy says, regarded around the world as the best there is. And I'm like, <laughs> best there was? But, uh, but not quite. But just for a moment, it sounds like what Bret Hart's promo will become. The belt looks so good on Flair. His purple trunks and that just gorgeous World Heavyweight Championship belt. You know, I I can't think of anybody that ever wore it better, really, than Ric yeah, Flair. Yeah, I mean, it's synonymous. Yeah. I like how when uh, Ric Flair finally takes it off and hands it to Tommy, Tommy, like, shows it to Ricky for inspection. Like, here it is. You know, like, you know, do you agree? You approve? Is it okay? <laughs> and, you know, Ricky Moore's like, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, good. Yeah, we're good. I'll, I'll fight for that. <laughs> and uh, we get uh, also a little more fun before the, the bell actually rings. Because there's no commentary, you get to hear... Tommy Young admonishing Ric Flair before the match starts. Leave his face alone. <laughs> That's great. And then he looks over to some guy who's got a padlock to lock up the cage, and you hear Tommy Young say, Lock it up. Oh, nice. And then Tommy Young plants his feet wide, you know, like almost the Air Jordan basketball image, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. he thrusts his fist up because he's calling for the bell. He, he call, looks over his shoulder to point, point to the bell guy, puts his yeah. fist up, and then he's watching the padlock guy. Okay. And then he's going to like, you know, presumably the padlock guy finishes and Tommy Young will do, you know, whatever with his hand. Yeah. And I guess bring his hand down and point at the keeper to hit the bell. Right. The padlock guy takes his fucking sweet time about it, so Tommy Young's standing out there, so you think you can dance or fame. I guess you know, our listeners will remember, because we're, we're older guys, we remember. And, of course, I understand it, because I've done my fair share of dinner theater. Yeah. And I call this one, like, airing out my balls. This, you know, because, like, you know, you're ready. But Tommy Young realizes at one point, he's like, oh, shit, I look like a fucking cheerleader. So he's like, come on. You know, he's just, like, <laughs> like hung out to dry. But, uh, yeah, it's just, like, about 15 to 20 seconds of Tommy Young. Like, you know, ready. You're just waiting for the two, In three. The ah, and he's going to start dancing. Yeah. So, so it's funny. So he's, he's, he's finally, they lock it up. And finally, you know, Tommy gets the call for the bell. The flare's crowded. Like, he's kind of waiting in the corner. Ricky's in the center of the ring waiting, you know, for the match to start. And, and now Tommy's watching the two of them. So Rick Flair just kind of walks between the two of them like, ah, I need some space. That's right. Woo! And he gets a nice response from his, you know, call, his signature. Yeah. Uh, Flair. Woo! They're in Flair country here. So That's right. This is Flair's hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. So finally, the action begins. And at last, on the biggest show of all, Ricky Morton's got a chance to show Ric Flair that he has world championship caliber. We get a lockup, of course, and Ricky Morton immediately puts Ric Flair into a side headlock and walks over to the top rope and rakes Flair's face <laughs> against that top rope. Yeah. You know, the baby faces love to dish out what was uh, served to them, but if you can't take it, then don't dish it out. That's right. Ricky Morton makes a call to the audience, and he gets a huge pop, even though we're in Flair County. And again, you get to hear a lot of crisp Tommy Young. Come on, you two, stick to wrestling. <laughs> Ricky Morton keeps that side headlock on tight 
and Ric Flair goes for a big handful of hair, and we get the funniest I've never seen hand in the cookie jar swat that uh, <laughs> I've ever seen. Like Tommy Young, like looks her over and sees it, so he just comes over and swats Flair's forearm, but Flair doesn't let go, so it ends up being just this whole kind of like, hey, come on. <laughs> you know, yeah. just like like put that put down that poodle or whatever to you know, like the, the big dog or whatever. So yeah. Flair eventually has to let go after he gets his his forearm swat and he can't he can't get any advantage from grabbing Ricky Morton's hair. So Ricky Morton's got that headlock on him. Flair, you know, decides to uh, back Ricky into the corner, which usually is going to lead to some Flair chops on the chest. But no, Ricky Morton's not having it. He ends up climbing up to the second turnbuckle oh, to right. give himself, you know, the, the high ground. That's right. <laughs> and he starts giving Flair those fists. Punch, 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 punch. So Flair backs off and he's got this. So he gets a couple of chops in himself, a bit of an exchange, but it isn't long before Flair's like backing off and like rubbing his jaw and yeah, just like yeah, yeah. having a second think about this whole thing. And you can just <laughs> see like the wheels turning in Flair's mind because he like, he slows things down. The strategist and Flair is just like, okay, different approach. But he has right. such an, he looks like an eagle like he's got the stare you know flair which just like the predator top top carnivore <laughs> some real quick action here we get flair with a side headlock and takedown which ricky morton immediately counters with a head scissors he uses this head scissors to go into a nice face rub he just gives <laughs> flair the snow wash That's face right. wash on the mat again mimicking all the damage the horsemen you know have done so much injury to poor ricky morton's face that beautiful face That's right. selling all those tickets <laughs> the horsemen don't they realize this is bad for everybody bad for business so flair is like Fuck it, I'm out of here. And he tries to, you know, pull a Jim Cornette. He's climbing the cage, trying to get out already. But Ricky Morton's, you know, this, he's still fresh. So he catches him by the back of the trunk and we get a quarter moon. Those purple trunks come down. <laughs> oh, purple moons is what we get to Lucky Charms. So Flair's trying to get out of there, but he's caught. There'll be more moon to come. <laughs> Ricky Morton delivers 10 punches. So Flair is really, you know, in the early match, of course, you, you know, you, you begin to see patterns and it's all about the face. And they're going. Almost always, yeah, unless yeah. it's a sneak attack. The, yeah. the good guy usually has a few minutes of unabated. Yeah, <laughs> so Ricky Morton just looks like the best wrestler that ever walked the face of the earth or ever ran the ropes. 10 punches, and those are like another one of those. Uh, he's got uh, the, the high ground again, Ricky Morton. Yeah, climbs down on the second rope. That's right. And then it's awesome when Ricky Morton lets him go and backs off. Flair looks like he's going over to walk to Tommy Young, like uh, complaining about some cheating or tactics. But instead, he gets right up to him and just does that whole Greg Valentine yeah, yeah. timber. <laughs> so Flair's down on the mat. There's a fair flare flip, and then there's the flare flop. That was the flare flop, yeah. But first, it looked like a flare conference with Tommy That's right. Young. That's right. When Flair recovers, we get a quick backslide off of an Irish whip and a two count but Rick doesn't like it so he goes to Tommy Young and he's like wake up damn it and he gives Tommy Young this great shove but Tommy Young's not having it and he gives no. Rick Flair a shove and Flair's on his ass yes. even the refs look tough when That's they right. tangle with Rick Tommy Flair Tommy Young beat the shit out of Flair every time they encountered like that oh Flair's the best he's just so generous and making other people look good <laughs> So we get that stare down with that, you know, eagle eye from Flair just, you know, trying to burn a hole through the back of Ricky Morton's skull. We get a collar and elbow and a knee from Flair. He takes Morton over to the turnbuckle. He's going to give him a head bash, but a block. And then Morton turns around and gives him a bunch of closed fists. Flair is yelling like he's had boiling oil poured all over him. <laughs> he's just, ah! He's just screaming in pain from these punches. It's so great. He spills, he 
spins around, falls on his ass after these punches. And he's begging, <laughs> begging for mercy. That's when Ricky Morton starts on Flair's nose. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And because we don't have the, the commentary. <laughs> yeah, the beak. That's right. The, the eagle. I'm telling yeah, you, there's yeah, something yeah. very, you know, eagle-eyed, like Sam, the bald yeah, eagle from the Muppets yeah. about Ric Flair. <laughs> I don't think that's a proper word. But anyway, again, we get to hear some good shit. We hear Ric Flair. Ah, shit. <laughs> because he's getting you, know, and then we hear a rare kind of like uh, I guess Flair's got a little phlegm in his throat. He's like, while well, he's like, ah, wait just a second. <laughs> okay, let's go. Because ah, he's got a clear little phlegm. He's coughing. And you can hear everything. Rick does get a knee and a chop, and you think maybe he's going to get a little respite from all the aggression that Ricky Morton has been doling out to the delight of the fans in this massive stadium. But no, it's still the Ricky Morton show. He closes in and more fists. Flair's yelling and he's pointing and it's no good. Ricky Morton is winning this match. Uh, again, Ricky Morton climbs up to the second turnbuckle and he's delivering fists to Ric Flair. And uh, I, I couldn't help but hear Jesse, blatantly illegal McNoover McMahon. <laughs> Not a lot of wrestling happening right now. That's right. This is a fight. That's right. We get a face mask headbutt. Uh-oh. So, Ricky, you're supposed to be a baby face, not a face mask user. So, Tommy Young starts scolding Ricky Morton because this is a hard plastic contraption here. Weapon. That's right. It is a weapon. And Flair's selling. That's, I mean, he's he is the bull market. Sell, sell. Like, remember uh, Trading Places? Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. He's yeah. like the guy. <laughs> yeah. He's getting swarmed by the rest of the Wall Street traders, and he's kind of like falling. It's like, sell, sell. <laughs> totally over. Overwhelmed. So Flair sells. That's his genius. Ricky Morton is working that nose, working that beak. We get a roll-up pin attempt. One, two, but no, way too early. Flair is begging for mercy. A collar and elbow results in a side headlock. Morton's got Flair in that headlock, and he gives a honky fist to Flair's beak. <laughs> so, you know, Morton doesn't want to wrestle. He wants to punch him and, and, I'll, and scrape his face in the cage. <laughs> So while Morton's got the side headlock, Flair does something that she will occasionally do. He'll grab you by kind of your shoelaces, lift one of your legs. So you're only, now you're standing flamingo style while you're yes. headlocking Flair. And then he picks you up and drops you on that bent leg. Yeah, like, the, knee, the knee breaker. Yeah. So he drops your shin on his knee. Yeah. But Ricky holds on. He's like right. in a lot of pain, but he doesn't let go. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't work. Doesn't get free. Flair moves them over to the ropes. Flair does finally get the advantages with some elbows to the back of Morton's head. There is an Irish whip, but Morton ducks Ric Flair's standing elbow, bounces off the rope and gives a cross body block for a one, two, oh, not a three, no, kick out. Flair hip tosses Morton. Morton gets some more punches in and gets a two count. And then he's got a full UFC mount, like we're talking teabag style, <laughs> where he just starts punching Flair. Looks like he's absolutely dominating this match however he goes to the well once too often flares on the mat morton bounces off the ropes goes for a big elbow drop and flair rolls out of the way now ricky sells injured and we're going to see a bit of the tides turn in this yeah, match yeah. the second act unfolds we have back and forth strikes because it's not immediate to take over the hostile takeover <laughs> but rick flair pulls off the plastic mask from ricky morton and we get some Ricky face in the cage. <laughs> Ricky Morton's down. Ric Flair pulls off the bandages and rubs that face in the this cage like, this again. Is like, this is like taking the bandages off the ribs. Yeah, that's right. Somewhere in there, Ricky blades and he's bleeding. 
the bandages are gone. Flair puts the big mask on. Pulls it, the, That's right. He puts the mask on. Yeah. That beak is now sharp and reinforced with rigid <laughs> plastic. And I think he's actually hits, he uses as a weapon. And yep. why, why wouldn't he? Totally fair, McMahon. Why shouldn't he? He had it used against him. That's right. Says Jesse. From another company. Yep. The 10 minute mark is called. Flair throws that mask. He doesn't need that to beat this. Chump. Woo! <laughs> Flair pulls his opponent's face across the top rope like he did in many of the uh, setup builds to this epic showdown. Flair starts punching Morton and munching it, uh, munching. Morton is selling just, you know, completely hammered. Flair is rubbing Morton's face into the cage again. No help at ringside. We don't have any horsemen. That's we don't right. have Gibson. Not even a JJ. Nope. More fists. We get a big throw where you kind of like just run across K- uh, the ring with the guys. You know, usually you've kind of got his hair, a handful of hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And yeah. you just throw him face first into the steel mesh. Now, you know, I guess Flair doesn't like his own gimmick. He's going to put on Morton's bandana. <laughs> just for like a half a second, he wears one of those rock and roll bandanas. So he's like trying on everything, you know. That's right. You put on one of his Ricky's boots in a minute see if he likes it. <laughs> so Flair's in control. We get his beautiful knee drop. He's punching Morton. It's clearly now the Ric Flair show and blood is coming down Morton's face. No wrestling holds. A lot of chirping now from Ric Flair. Usually some kind of question and Flair going, huh? <laughs> this is your guy? Huh? This is the best you can do? Huh? You want to be Huh? <laughs> the face mask is given away to a crimson mask. Flair snapmares Morton and goes for a pinfall. This time it's kind of like he presses his hand on his chest as if he's almost like doing the resuscitation, you know, like pump, yeah, yeah, pump, yeah. staying alive, staying alive. But it's not enough for a pinfall. Ricky Morton is able to kick out. But Flair's in control and lets everybody know with another woo. <laughs> Flair punches Ricky Morton. He gives him a suplex and now he's going to finish him off with the figure four, which he applies in the middle of the ring. Ricky Morton is screaming in agony, blood pouring down his face. Tommy Young gets close to see if he wants to quit and Ricky Morton grabs him by the collar of his shirt and grabs him like, like, like you know, like Tommy Young owes Ricky Morton money. He's like, hey, you stiffed me for the pizza bill last night, you son of a bitch. And Flair is getting help from the second rope. Tommy Young can't see because he's getting manhandled by Ricky right, Morton. Right. So Flair is reaching behind him and he's got his hands on that second rope and he pulls himself off the ring to put extra pressure onto the figure four. But when Tommy Young turns around to look, he's got to let go. And here's where them rattling ropes give away the game. And Tommy's like, hey, wait a minute. He sees the ropes moving and he hears it because he kind of hears a rattle behind him. He's like, what? And he grabs the ropes and shakes and points at Flair and he's like, one, two. And Flair's got to break the hold, which he does. I, l- I loved it in matches where like the ref would look and the rope would just be ever so subtly moving and then they'd play it to the crowd where they'd like look at the rope they'd look at the wrestler look at the rope look at the wrestler look at the crowd and the crowd would be like yes he was cheating yeah, <laughs> yeah. Here we have the extra help from the, the audio cues. Flair returns to those punches, which are working so well. Morton looks like he has been mugged, you know, left in the sidewalk with his wallet gone. But he pulls a sneaky small package on Ric Flair. One, <laughs> two, could this be it? No. Ric Flair kicks out, picks up Morton, takes him into the corner and just chops him with those chest shots. The red welts beginning to form on Ricky Morton's chest. But Ricky is able to rally. He throws Flair face first into the cage and he does it again. Then he climbs up onto the third rope. The two of them somehow are now fighting as they're both standing on the, <laughs> and the, on the turnbuckle and Ricky Morton rubs Flair's face up there. Flair takes a walk. <laughs> Falls down. That's not a good spot to take a walk from. No. 
Sorry, crotch or just fell off? Not yet. The crotch is later. Okay. <laughs> the crotch is seminal in the finish. So Ricky Morton is punching Flair in the corner. Flair walks over to the middle and drops down. This is now the 20-minute mark of the match. Flair gets up. He gets his face rubbed more into the cage. He gets slammed into the mat. There's a corner whip, and then it's a sleeper hold. Ricky Morton onto Ric Flair. He eventually breaks it and just rubs Flair's face into the mat. Morton is punching Flair. Flair is down. And then Flair stands up as Ricky Morton climbs to the top rope and delivers a Ricky Steamboat flying crossbody block. Wow. It doesn't work. Flair decides he's going to try to get out of there. He's had enough. He doesn't want to risk his title. He's just going to escape over the cage, which won't win him the match, (laughs) but will save his title. But this time we get another catch, and it's a half moon. It's half a purple moon. That's right. Got those purple trunks. Flair's like, Ted DiBiase, he's not the only one that can do this. (laughs) That's right. So we get a bunch, we got a slugfest as Ricky Morton climbs up there to to bring him down properly. He's like, ah, you're not going anywhere. I'm coming up there to, you know, we'll fight up here if that's where you want to fight. So they're slugging it out on the top rope. Flair gets back into the ring and Ricky Morton drops a fist from the top and it's a one and it's a two and Ric Flair kicks out. Flair is chopping Morton into the corner. Ricky Morton rallies with some closed fists. He throws Flair into the cage. Flair begs his classic, no! No! God damn it, no! (laughs) And now we get to hear Morton who hasn't really said much but finally he's got something to say and he looks at Flair and goes, I told you! I told you! <laughs> it was great. He's a man of few words. That's right. But I liked it. So he's punching Flair. Then he jump, he climbs up to the third rope and gives his version of the missile drop kick, which kind of lands on his butt. But still, it's enough for a one, a two. But again, Flair kicks out. <laughs> what can this rock and roller do to get the gold from Ric Flair? He goes onto the top. This actual kick out, though, leaves Ricky Morton on top of Tommy Young. Oh, right. Yeah. So Flair does a kind of launch his, uh, you know, opponent onto uh, uh, the kick out is so powerful because Flair is the stronger man that Ricky Morton winds up squashing as much as, uh, you know, a 190 pound guy can squash (laughs) another guy. But it's, you know, we're at the whole ref bump, Tommy Young and Ricky Morton's like, are you okay? Are you okay? But Tommy Young is taking a minute or two to recover. That's right. So Flair is able to pick up Ricky Morton in kind of like an atomic drop, but he drops him crotch first on the th- uh, third right. rope, yeah. which really hurts really Ricky Morton. Yeah. And then he goes for the pinfall, and Tommy Young is recovered enough to make the one and the two, but we see that Flair, the dirty dog, puts both of his feet on the second rope and wrist, lifts the rest of the body so that all of his weight is on Ricky Morton. He's cheating and using the second ropes for right. leverage, and that's how he's able to get the third oh. hit. And the poor audience has to see the baby face go down and to, well, it's not a clean pinfall, but it is a one, two, three. After yeah. all that suffering, Ricky Morton comes up short and Ric Flair successfully defends his title belt in the steel cage in his hometown against Ricky Morton. Yeah. I noticed something about this card, and Sonny's complaint about 80s wrestling in general, especially Crockett, especially when Dusty's booking, non-finishes. And this card gives us a lot of finishes. It's a three count. There's a lot of pinfalls. There's a lot of clean pinfalls. It isn't just a bunch of, you know, we didn't have 10 matches and seven disqualifications. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, which is, sometimes seems to be the norm, like the way out every time. It's like, yeah. oh, let's just disqualify. Like, find a way to get the pin. Find a way to like, you know, it doesn't have to be a clean pin, but find a way to, you know. And it's funny, I actually now, modern wrestling, like AEW, for example, I'm sure I've lost track of it because I haven't been watching week to week for the last few months and I've missed some other weeks. But like, there was a point where they'd been around for, say, three years and they'd only had two televised disqualifications total. 
and wow. no, no countouts. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, like it's just like submissions and pins, submissions and pins. Hmm. Well, let's talk a bit more about yes. Ricky and Rick because I don't think we, I think we were saving. Yeah, but we were saving it for we, this. Okay. Yeah. Apparently one night, Ricky Morton gets a clean pin, defeats Ric Flair, wins the belt. And everybody goes wild. He goes back to the dressing room and Dusty's there with probably some Crockett, I'm thinking at this point. Yeah. And they say, okay, this is effectively the end of the Rock and Roll Express. And Ricky Morton tells a story that he handed them back the belt and said, I don't want it. Yeah. And uh, so were you aware of that? I didn't know that there had actually been a night where there was a title shot that technically ended in a, a clean, in an actual title change. Well, there's I a was fo- aware of the offer. Well- there's also this very convincing photo, yeah. Ricky Morton holding the belt. So you, you, you could couldn't that just be like a Paul Orndorff moment? It's backstage, so you know. I guess Ric Flair, if Rick was feeling really generous, Ric yeah. Flair backstage in the locker room, you know, said, "Here you go, pose with my belt, like yeah, you just won yeah, it." Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I guess that could have happened, but right. I—that's pretty generous of Ric Flair, you know, to say, you know, to like, basically, the whole thing's done. We're all in the locker room, and like, oh, here, go ahead, yeah, yeah, pretend like you won it. So. This and like so, Ricky is like doing this shoot interview, and he holds up, you know, this big poster size quality picture of him, full rock and roll regalia, holding the belt, covered in yeah, sweat, yeah, and yeah. he's and he's ba- he's not in the ring, he's in the locker room or backstage, like I'm the champ, holding it like he just won it. It just you know, it's it's minor evidence, but it, it's you know, it helps the story, helps For you believe sure, yeah. the story that because I mean. I didn't realize that um, Ultimate Warrior beat Honky for the belt three times before we saw it. Interesting. I hadn't read that. Yeah. And I and then I actually saw a clip of there's Warrior taking the belt off Honky. Honky's got the belt. He beats him in other towns. So, yeah, I, I can't give you great details. Right. But in order to cover we'll some of that. We'll it eventually. <laughs> yeah. In order to cover some of that gap of taping to airing they had to fool some people and be like oh yeah you you're gonna see that anyway it, it, so the, it, it did happen and yeah we'll, we'll give you the details as uh legendary wrestling obsession continues and we hit the ultimate war era uh well was it hit the honky era the honky tonk man yeah <laughs> Because that's going to be fun. Anyway, so so this leads some enlightenment, or it kind of makes a bit of sense of the mysterious Ronnie Garvin run. This guy didn't have a lot of heat, and he got the belt, and that should have been Ricky Morton's run. A very but that was sh- even that was a year later. So. It was, yeah, but still. Flair is um, had a different style than Hogan. Hogan held the belt, you know, for these this three year chunk, or you know, or whatever it was. Four years, yeah. Whereas. That was not what was going on. No, no, Flair, Flair in other leagues. Not only did Flair, it's a different style. You got to like lose the yeah, belt to yeah, get it back to, to get like, it back to lose it to get it back. And then there was, there was the over, there was the overseas ones. Like Flair's got these like non recognized title changes where he would go to like the Dominican Republic or wherever. I'm throwing that one in totally randomly, but I, I think people that know the stories know what I'm talking about. But he would go and wrestle somebody, and they would he would lose the belt to them. And then he would win it back that weekend, or or there'd be some other shenanigans where they would just make an announcement that, that didn't count. So but, different from, for example, Saturday Night's main event, where Hogan yeah. has the belt in like you know eighty five, and he's yeah. going to have it till you know eighty nine. He wants to go make a movie, basically, exactly. Like, you know, and that's why we always said like there was such there was so much room in eighty five, eighty six for one flipping of the belt. Yeah. Have Hogan lose to somebody. Paul Arndorf, and then, you know, get it back. Of course. Now, and I can see why you don't want to do it too close, too late in 86, because you need that steam heading into 87. Hogan needs to be, you know, a monster champion for the Andre thing. So, right. So maybe the better 
choice would have actually been to do Piper. Go back to like the end of 84 or whatever. WrestleMania could have been Hogan winning the belt back from Piper. You know what I mean? Like you could Yeah, have, that would have been pretty epic. You could have done MTV. Piper wins the belt from Hogan right. on MTV. Mm-hmm. And then Hogan gets it back at WrestleMania. Right. Well, going back to Flair and Morton, what are your thoughts about that? That uh, Morton yeah, actually... Yeah, I've always heard that they so An unrecognized they wanted, win. They wanted transitional champion phase because they always felt like there was like a, they needed to shake things up. They couldn't just have Flair be the champ for like three years straight or whatever. So they always wanted someone to come in, take the belt off them, and then at some point down the road, give them the belt back. And they wanted it to be Ricky Morton. But then Ricky, I think, just looked at like the reality of, okay, if I've got the belt, that means I'm going to be going to these other territories. I'm going to be on the road. Robert's not going to be going with them. And like, is he going to get work? Is he going to like, get left, you know, left out basically, you know, and at that point in time in his career and his life, he didn't want to do that. You know, he wanted to stay with his friend and he thought like that's what he enjoyed the most of the tag team and and he thought the most success they could have would be as a tag team. And yeah, it's too bad that it didn't roll around a different way. Like considering what's to come in July, I, I can't see how that couldn't, they, they could have done that with Ricky and not really disrupted the Rock and Roll Express. You, you pretend like you're going to disrupt the Rock and Roll Express, but you don't actually do it. Right. So... So these are the two guys that need that that eighties tune with the you know the heart you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah the fr- the friendship song from the friend, that's right yeah. Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton apparently because uh, you know hard to find another if it's true another tale of loyalty that comes as close as uh, you know Ricky Morton saying I'm not going to split up our team to be the world champion because the crowd was into it they were he was hot they were ready for it yeah. And like I say, apparently it happened, but then, they, you know, they're, they're like, okay, well, you know, we'll just, this never happened then. This night never happened, but he has the picture to prove it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. There's been some false, you know, finishes as far as like they pulled the trigger, have somebody win a belt and then change their mind and never air it. There's famously one with Luger kind of when he was in the WWF, you know, he, they made him the champ, but apparently he was at the bar talking to somebody and talking about it, and they got got wind that he hadn't been quiet, you know, because the stuff that was filmed in one arena and what hadn't aired. So he had, to, you know, they had to like wait. They weren't gonna, they were gonna air this. They wanted to try it out. They had him come out in front of the crowd with like the belt and everything, and and but it never, it never actually, you know, they didn't go. Well, that seems so severe because weren't there, you know, six thousand people who could be chatting and blabbing <laughs> about that? Were they all signed to confidentiality agreements? Like, no, but I mean, no internet. I mean, it's not like people were mailing out letters to each other or whatever. Right. I guess you know, yeah. it was hard. It was hard for the crowd to sort of play investigative journalists for word of spread, so spreading who, wildfire. So who did he take the belt off? Oh, I don't even remember. I would have to check. Nah. It would have been during that whole Lex Express era, you know, time. So I don't know. If Yoko or yeah maybe Yoko was the champion or something like that but and I don't even know if there was really even a, honestly I don't even know if there was a match I literally think McMahon wanted to see the re- reaction of a crowd to Lex Luger's champion so they literally just had him come out with the belt hmm. you know no explanation just here's your world champion but something that never made air you know crazy um oh narcissist please one more look oh please <laughs> please uh, just one more one more peek narcissist god yeah. Bobby Heenan Bobby's <laughs> telling everybody yeah uh, just Making making every wrestler as they come through the door, giving them like total like a, the validity of you know his his brilliance makes them top stars even if people don't know who they are. <laughs> but anyway, so that would be the um, sort of like the biggest the highlight of the the I, fourteen guys allegedly challenged player for the belt over the Great American Bash tour. But it would seem like Ricky Morton was the one that they were going to anoint 
and pass the title to for a little while with always the intention to give it back to Flair. Well, when you, you see the amount of time they invested in the TV show, right? You know, Hawk got like a two-week buildup or a week and a half buildup to his match, and Morton got months in all those different angles. So definitely... Wahoo got nothing. <laughs> well, Wahoo's chopped Flair around before. So yeah, it's interesting to think like where, yeah, where they would go, what they would do with it. And it's too bad that, yeah, that he didn't get that chance because I think that what he doesn't realize, what Ricky Morton doesn't realize is that within a year, year and a half, you know, the peak of the Rock and Roll Express is going to, you know, come crashing down. And again, like they're still wrestling to this day. <laughs> they're going out yeah. making appearances, but it was never quite the same. And what would have happened, for example, if the Rock and Roll Express had shown up on, you know, WWF TV? Would McMahon like, have... It seemed like they're the one team that didn't, really. Yeah, know? I mean, there's others, but they were the key big... I mean, they did eventually make an appearance, but way after the fact, when they were in Smoky Mountain, there was an agreement with Smoky Mountain and WWF, so there was oh, a... There was one match, right. I think I like saw that OSW. Yeah, like the, heavenly, the Heavenly Bodies or whatever versus the Rock and Roll Express, and it's a good match, but the crowd's not into it. Like, yeah. it's funny. Like, it's it's probably one of the better matches on the card, but the crowd's not responding at all. I know. That's heartbreaking to see, like, oh, here's the Rock and Roll Express finally in the WWF, and it's a total thud. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't... Uh, they Too did, bad. It was, it was the wrong time. They needed to be there, like, now. You know, like... Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this is... But it's my Bulldogs. <laughs> I don't want the Rock and Roll Express yeah. messing that up. <laughs> and, you know, they had their own thing. Like, Hulk Hogan wasn't appealing to, you know, these 14-year-old girls. Yeah. And they, they was appealing to little kids and their parents. Yeah. <laughs> little kids and patriotic people. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, so that's the end of the July 5th edition of the Great American Bash. Now, there's basically a whole month worth of cards. We will be revisiting this whole Great American Bash tour at a point down the road. And so we'll do a you know, sort of a setup show, which is really going to kind of focus on all of these cards leading us up to the July 26th episode that night, because that's another stadium show. That's another fully recorded episode that we have on uh, the network. We'll be trying to keep track of everything that's going on. The best of seven flares different challenges but we'll we'll, you know as part of that setup we'll really go blow we'll go date by date and really just kind of confirm like these are the dates they wrestled here's where they wrestled here's those flare championship we'll find those you know we'll really nail it down like where those 14 challenges were to see if it truly was 14 maybe it was uh you know a baker's dozen and july 26th i turned 14 again there you go 1986 (laughs) so 14 challengers 14 years (laughs) jeff was ready as a fan Yeah, reading (laughs) magazines. Okay, we're going to come back and we have a little tribute to do and then we'll talk about where we're going next for the next several weeks of our show. Hang in there. It was fairly recently that the wrestling world lost yet another legend and someone that was big in our childhood, Sheik Adnan Al-Kasi. Yep, he was our first Sheik. Funny because, you know, the original Sheik is the one I know the least about. That's right. <laughs> and then the Iron Sheik was our second Sheik. But it all started with this guy who, uh, you know, had that Egyptian headdress. And I'm sorry, I keep forgetting the name of it. A, a kafir or something like that. Uh, anyway, the the classic keep the sun off of your back of your neck. That's right. And he had a sword that he was always clacking, you know. And rattling, yeah. Yeah, he, he would pull a pull it out about three inches and slam it back in and made it <laughs> lots of noise. And of course he was a um, former headline 
uh, world title challenger. Yeah. I didn't actually, I mean, when we saw him, he was a manager who could take a bump. That's right. It was, and, and a lot of the storylines were sort of- dish it out too. Yeah. And especially after Heenan left, they really had to rely on him to sort of be the heat, to be the villain, to put up against any of the heroes. It was his army. Adnan Adnan Al Casey's yeah, army. That's right. that's right. And like yeah, as we, his generals. <laughs> that's right. As we covered in um, the uh, super secret, don't tell anybody in Winnipeg. You know, uh, Stark Age. Yeah. Gosh. Like we've talked about JYD versus Jimmy Hart. It was Jerry Blackwell versus you know his former best buddy. That's Because right. Blackwell would dress up like a, right. a sheik. He's, the sheiks, and I saw in the listings, it's like you know Patera and Sheik would be listed as a tag team as the Sheiks. <laughs> <laughs> sheik Blackwell, right. Sheik Patera, <laughs> Sheiky Fatwell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then it became Sheiky Fatwell. But if you think about it, like Vern Gagne and Nick Bockwinkle, of course, is probably the most you know famous, longest running feud of the AWA. But when we really look at all of Vern big comebacks they're all against the Sheik you know like there's okay. so many of those comebacks matches in ah, the 80s you know like okay, right which I didn't see yeah and so we know of historically I did go back and watch a Sheik versus yeah. Vern oh yeah uh, but I, 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 it was so, I mean, only within the last year, really. And so it, it was, I never really conceived of him as pure wrestler. Yeah. But like he did, he main evented for the belt against Vern and, yeah. and, and I guess more than once. Yeah. And I think the greater, larger, larger wrestling population, especially younger than us, I mean, he's General Adnan. I mean, WWF was yeah. their introduction to him for many people yeah. who didn't read magazines or only started watching after the fact, after AWA was already closed. So it was nice that he got that moment in the sun after the fact and got a payday and got some, you know, some exposure. But it, you know, when people are doing tributes and I see like pictures of like General Adnan is like the primary, you know, thing they're showing. It's like, hey, come on, like, you know, that's know. like a, it's, 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 that's it, like five seconds of his career. Yeah, yeah, and also it wasn't. It was mostly nostalgia because he wasn't. I, I don't have great memories of him like big laugh lines or or good spots. Yeah, yeah, the WF didn't didn't give them a lot of mic time and Slaughter talked a lot. So and you also, Adnan wasn't there to say much. <laughs> right. And like, and we'd be amiss not to sort of reference. Okay. So you had Sergeant Slaughter and Adnan Al-KC and, uh, whom, and, and of course, uh, was it? It was Iron Sheik got brought in as Iron Colonel Sheik. Mustafa yeah, okay, for the that's, summer. <laughs> that's what I was forgetting his name. Colonel Mustafa. Yeah. Yeah. Was our beloved Sheiky baby. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it had so much potential. It was like, they're bringing together our chic with yeah. the first chic with the second chic, but neither one of them are chic. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Colonel Mustafa and yeah. General Adnan. Like, where's the sheiks? I want my sheiks. Like, I, I don't know why just bringing back the, like, I, I guess it's because Iron Sheik's from Iran and that's not the storyline for the Gulf War. So that's yeah. why they had to like make them from somewhere else or whatever. Yeah. But that was one of those, you know, what kind of fool do you take me for trying to pass off the Iron Sheik of somebody else bringing him in and like, we don't know. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, he was wonderful, and uh, it, it, it's it's again as we're discovering here uh, on this po- uh, podcast that we go back and watch stuff, and it's uh, we appreciate different aspects of it now than we did as kids, and we see the genius that you know frustrated us once upon a time, and Adnan Al Casey was a master and uh, we, we beloved. Whereas once I hated, but because this That's is right. in a theatrical sense. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like we really got a kick out of when we did the lead up to Starcage or the, the first half of the show. And we were doing some different matches. And there was an interview segment before a slaughter 
King Tonga match, and we just like just died laughing at like it, what he was promo. saying and the promo he did there. So we're gonna include yeah. that here at some point, somewhere <laughs> right around now. It's gonna this is gonna kick in because Jeff did an awesome job of making us laugh by his version of it. Yeah. But we'll uh, now now we'll go back and listen to like you know the the first hand account <laughs> from the man's own mouth because it's it pretty surprised funny stuff. me. Yeah. It surprised me how much I got a kick out of this promo. <laughs> Coming up, you're going to see a match that would be a headliner anywhere in the world. Sergeant Slaughter against King Tonga. We talked to Sergeant Slaughter. You know what he plans on doing, wrecking everybody in Sheik Adnan El Casey's army and finally getting his hands hold of the Sheik. Come on in, Sheik Adnan El Casey. In most of the matches where your people are involved, people like King Tonga interfere constantly. Are you going to watch this match tonight or do you plan on some interference of your own? Well, that is not your business. Are you writing a book? Or Sergeant Slaughter is hiding somewhere and listening to my interview? I will have a surprise for you, Sergeant Slaughter. I never liked the Marine, and nobody in the Arab world liked the Marine. And you know what happened to the Marine in Lebanon? That's sick. Sick. That Marine wasn't in Lebanon. That Marine is going to be wrestling King Tonga and trying to get his hands hold of you. Well, now let me just say one thing to you, Sergeant Slaughter. My army is ready, and they are generals. And you know who take order from the generals? Somebody like you, a lousy soldiers, will salute my generals. <laughs> yes, Sergeant Slaughter, I want you to do me a favor. King Tanga, destroy the stupid soldier because you are a general in my book. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I will guarantee you one thing, Sergeant Slaughter. My men are on the go, and we got you, and we'll have a lot of surprise for you. And I'll tell you one thing. You think for one second I'm going to go in my corner and just sit and watch Sergeant Slaughter? I have so many surprises because we got the money, and money buys everything. You understand? You keep telling me King Tonga can handle the situation. Why do you need to interfere? I got to give him instructions. I got to watch him. Whatever mistake he does, I got to tell him what to do. That's why I am the best manager in the world. Do you understand that? Well, you're also known as the most interfering manager in the world. I take a pride what I do. I'm not denying it. I've been in wrestling all my life, and I love to do what I do because I think I'm doing the right thing. Do you understand? Why can't the instructions simply be given outside the ring before the match even starts? I have. I give him instruction before he goes in the ring, and I give him instruction when he's in the ring because we after you, Sergeant Slaughter, and you, Big Fast Love, Jerry Blackwell, and we after the heavyweight championship belt from Ricky Martel. Hello! Show them! Nothing has changed in the camp of Sheik Adnan LKC. Coming up next, Sergeant Slaughter against King Tonga. Okay, so that's going to wrap us up for this week. But we wanted to let you know what's going on in the world of Legendary Wrestling Obsession. So we've got several shows that we're working on. But we also need to finish up some stuff. So in order to do that, we're going to buy ourselves a little time. We're going to get creative here. So we're going to release a Patreon exclusive that's Growing Up AWA Volume 2, Episode 2, Part 2. 
So, <laughs> so what I would do is encourage you to, if you haven't yet, go back and listen to Growing Up AWA Part 1 so you can kind of get a feel for it. The Part 2 is really a lot of follow-up to Part 1 and answering things from Part 1 because we opened up more cans of worms than we <laughs> than we answered in the first part. So the second part is kind of like figuring out all these things that we realized we you know either had said wrong or didn't necessarily know the information on. So it's a fun episode. We're going to release that. After that, there's a few things in the can, and I'm not going to commit to what order we're going to release them in, but we'll, we'll talk about them right now. So of course, we've got our January 1987 Saturday Night's Main Event coming up, which is going to be really important. So that's going to be a couple episodes coming up for that. We are going to go on a bit of a journey. We're going to talk about Rick Martel, AWA champion, challenger to champion. Pre-model days. But, of course, he does have his pre-AWA days in the WWF. So it depends on where you live and your age uh, demographic. You, you might not, uh, you might see him as, oh yeah, that WWF tag team champ. Um, that's right. I mean, and I'm talking Tony Gurria. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> because, uh, you know, he's a multiple time WWF or WWWF, both. Yeah. I guess, uh, I guess, well, well, okay, we'd have to get right into the minutia of name changes and switches because I can't quite be a, I can't quite claim to be an expert on when the trademark specifically, uh, when, when they lost the W, I have a vague idea. <laughs> the second W. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was 79, I think, or 77. I don't know. We, we talked about it on one show. We, we had the date right on one of our shows. <laughs> right. Well, they lost their third because it was three yeah. W's and then yeah. they went down to two and then they changed their F to an E. That's right. <laughs> and that's and now the, everything went to shit. <laughs> That's the WWF alphabet. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, we're going to basically do a few shows, yeah, two or cause three. Because he, he got everything. WCW, WWA, AWA. He got every <laughs> he got every letter in the alphabet. That's he bought right. all the back catalogs. <laughs> he got everything now. So. so this man, surprisingly, is not in the Hall of Fame. Like the WWE Hall of Fame, which is outrageous and outlandish and ridiculous. Because as far as I know, he never caused anybody any trouble. Like, he's not one of these guys, like, he doesn't have a lawsuit against them, like, demolition or something, which is the reason why they're not in the Hall, you know, in the hall of Fame. But anyways, we're going to take a look at the, the run-up to, leading up to him him get becoming that AWA champion. And then, of course, a lot of great title defenses that Jeff and I just didn't get to see. Because we didn't have access to that ESPN show where a lot of these matches lived. And we didn't get to see them. So we're going to go back and get to see a lot of challengers, you know, these awesome matches against, you know... A lot of different wrestlers. So he, you know, he, things with the Freebirds and Mr. Saido and all this stuff. Our biggest memories is, you know, Jimmy Garvin was messing around with him most of the time. That was probably the biggest online TV, you know, the TV. That was version. the Winnipeg angle. Yeah. And for some strange reason, they didn't want us to know that Star Cage was even happening because I remember watching TV around that time and not having any idea yeah. that there the, was a the big... update about it after the fact was so minimal it doesn't didn't didn't stick didn't 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 leave any lasting impression i have very vague memories about the Freebirds and the awa at all i remember the long riders you of know of course yeah but they seemed really like a b team up against the road warriors it yeah. didn't have the same excitement for me that's right at all so there's uh, a lot yeah. of cool matches out there that martel was involved in couldn't quite find them all found some really good ones there was a couple that were so juicy that I was like, when I tried to find the video and I didn't find it, I was kind of heartbroken. But right. we'll go over that as we go through that show. Um, were the Road Warriors and Rick Martel at, at the same time in the AW? Oh yeah, yeah. So sure we're going to be covering. We'll, we will be covering a Road Warriors as tag team champions. I think it's a title defense against Rick Martel and Dino Bravo in Quebec. Ah, well that's and Martel's the world heavyweight champion. 
wow. Oh, wow. That's going to be fucking great. Well, you bring Jeff's French skills to the te- to uh-huh. test because that, that car, that match is in French. <laughs> Jeez, you know, just the other day, I uh, had my longest French job ever. I had to trans, no, no, it was already translated for me, but I had about 16 paragraphs of French to read. Right. Yeah, and I was talking about cheese. <laughs> <laughs> le mozzarella, le cheddar, <laughs> le fromage cottage. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so I'm ready. Ready. Okay, that's Just good. Just be a- Anglophone Corey over here. <laughs> Zut alors. <laughs> à la prochaine. Gonna, I'm not going to be reading any French. Rick Martel. So, and of course, too, we, we, so we'll keep on the back burner and get back to it, which is the follow-up to this show. So the July 26th <laughs> Great American Bash. So we, we'll have a, a card bon where we follow up. Bonne fête à moi. Bonne fête à moi. Bonne fête. That's French for happy birthday, July okay. 26th. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So we'll go through the month of uh, all those bash cards, and then we'll look at that big premiere card that's on the, the network uh, again similar fashion to what we did with this episode okay so that's where we're at we implore you to check us out on patreon and follow us on twitter and you can listen to this to hear how to do that housekeeping okay a little bit of housekeeping this is how you can help out your favorite podcast or if you feel like helping us out rather than do this go to patreon.com Legendary Wrestling Obsession. Now, there will be some capital letters in there, but I don't know if that changes things. But patreon.com slash legendary wrestling obsession is where you can take that extra step. And if you're feeling generous, you can uh, throw a couple of coins our way because we're doing this for love of wrestling and um, it actually costs us to do the show. So <laughs> we're, we're uh, you know, we're not rolling in the, in the dough yet. Uh, there's extra goodies to listen to when you go to Patreon and, uh, we're working hard at having something there to reward you being a supporter of legendary wrestling obsession. Now, as far as our podcast goes, our home base and the people who have us ready to go and loaded and ready for your listening pleasure, lickety split is podbean.com. So go to once again, legendary wrestling obsession dot podbean dot com i don't see any ats in dats legendary wrestling obsession dot podbean dot com become a follower please and it'll be instantly downloaded onto your phone just as uh, soon as Corey can finish so- stitching up our episodes with all the uh, bells and whistles and music and and clips from the shows and finally we are on what used to be called twitter is now called x but i'm stubborn now i'm gonna call it twitter sort of for a little <laughs> while longer anyway at ledge No, let me try again. There's no easy way to say this, my friends, Um, because there's a limit to how many characters you can you can use for your handle. So it's you know the first three letters of our first two words, ledge, L-E-G, and then for the wrestling part, W-R-E, at L-E-G, W-R-E, and then all of obsession. So leg wrestling obsession. Wait a minute, no. I was a champion leg wrestler in my day. Ledge, res, there's no S until the end session. Do-over. I demand a do-over for the third one. First two are down. One to go. Stick with me. At leg re obsession. No. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to spell it. I ain't going to try to speak it. Something that's just spelled and said, you see.
at L-E-G-W-R-E-O-B-S-E-S-S-I-O-N. That's our X. At L-E-G-W-R-E-O-B-S-E-S-S-I-O-N. And don't ask me to try to pronounce it. (laughs) Okay, that's going to wrap us up for this week. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Au revoir. So <laughs> take